program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> I'll give you a choice. I could put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. You maniacs! What is a man? When we are successful, we will be. We had a real chance with this. Usually I keep all my information right here. I don't use any notes, nor do I take a drink of water, and I try not to say um or uh, and I rarely stop talking for very long. You'll see. And I am quite done with the idea of we. In America, I don't think we shall overcome. We've had myriad opportunities to overcome. We're not that interested. From 1865 to now, with the death of Abraham Lincoln, we've had many, many chances to overcome. We're just not that into it. I don't think that homo sapiens are we types. We're not a we species. We are we every now and then at games, but we're on different sides of the field. When we vote, we're all together, but in different, in different sides of an aisle. And then we get bored and we want to be individuals again and go home. There's marches where we, the people, we do this, but then everyone wants a bathroom break. Is that is because Americans are bad? No. Americans are put under undue pressure living under this moniker, the United States. The miracle of the United States is there hasn't been a second, third, and fourth civil war as bloody as the first one. 50 countries with 50 different cultures, with 50 different sets of values all getting together. And so for those who don't behave, I think we behave pretty well. But going forward, if you really want the world to be a better place, it is up to you, the individual, to choose to do good things. I can't make you. Only you can make you. So I am done with we, and I am just concentrating on you, what you're going to do now and what you're going to do with it in the future. We are going down the drain. We stab a knife in the side of Mother Nature and twist it every chance we get. Thank goodness you're making the wars bigger. And I've come to the conclusion that people are basically ungovernable and they're untamable because they are, for better or for worse, individuals. And that's why any governmental delivery system, democracy, communism, socialism, whatever ism or assy you want to use, it's rife with problems. We all can't agree on anything for very long except oversleeping and pizza. So we shall not overcome. You, on the other hand, can overcome and you can inspire someone else to overcome. So that's we. So I'm only interested in you. It's not we show, it's our show. And welcome to Behind, Behind the Schemes, episode 37 for March 3rd. Or excuse me, March 15th. Sorry, March is the third number of months. Third in line. It's number three. Because three and three makes 33. 
All this talk of we, that's, that's me wanting to go to the bathroom. Oh, just in time, just in time. Uh, tonight we are joined by Dean Reiner of the Up Is Down podcast. Uh, how's what it going, bud? What is really going on? What's up, what's up, what's up? Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. Uh, one Sir Seat Sitter kind of hooked this up. I think Sir, Cedar should, Sir Seat Sitter should get on the uh, app game of like matchmaking, but for podcast hosts, I guess. <laughs> Like an agent. He should become a podcast host agent. But then what would he do with this podcast? Just have it like a like a matchmaking podcast? No, he'd still he'd still be making the sickest podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love his show. <laughs> Chris, where are you? Yeah, he's uh he's hanging out in our green room channel. You can go to behindtheschemes.com slash green room, hang out in our IRC chat. Uh, if you're listening to this not live and go to behind the schemes.com slash scaly show. And that is Mondays at nine 30. Usually, um, where can they, where can they find your show at? Man, I'm all over. Um, well, you can find me at anywhere you find your podcasts on such as iTunes and Stitcher. My host is Spreaker and, um, I'm on the old Twitters at Dean Reiner or actually at up is down podcast on tweet on the tweeters. Nice. Um, but yeah, you can find it almost anywhere you find regular podcasts. I've also been listening. I've been using um, a podcast app called Podverse, which is really nice because I've had a lot of trouble with the Apple built-in podcast app over the last year. It's just a really troublesome, problematic. It's problematic uh, in many, many ways. So I've dropped it completely and I've moved all my RSS feeds of all the things I like to listen to over to Podverse because it's compatible with Podcasting 2.0. And it's just, uh, it's an instantaneous, very satisfying app. And for producers out there who like to make audio clips, um, there are other listeners who are, without them even knowing it, are actually producers because they're making, you can make your own clips in real time through the app. It's it's wonderful. Hell yeah. It's so the, you can uh, find up is down anywhere. I've been able to do that with uh, Overcast, which is kind of cool. There is a maximum of a minute and a half, I believe, of material that you can record, but the thing I like about it is it'll attach a video file to it so you can post it on something like no, uh, no Agenda Social and that way it'll display the album art, which I appreciate. There's some cool Do stuff you, coming down the pipeline with Podcasting 2.0. I'm excited. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's going to be a bright future for low lives like us who hide in our houses and do stuff. Maskless! <laughs> well, uh, to start the show off, uh, typically, we uh, well, I, I I draw a tarot card, and for tonight's tarot card, we got the Ace of Wands again, which I believe was the card that we had picked uh, for our first live show, if I'm not mistaken. Malachi was there. Do you remember? Uh, you know, I don't know much about tarot cards, so <laughs> no, I don't remember. <laughs> but you <laughs> want to know? That. Oh yes, yeah. So what was this one? Uh, create a beginning, new business venture, perhaps profitable uh, profitable journey. This card can also be read. As suggesting an inheritance, new career, birth in the family, uh, which I kind of find fitting. You know, we're all we're all working men here tonight, and uh, it's part of the conversation that we're going to be having is on unions, which should be we're all in this to get her. I mean, to together to get her. <laughs> um, but before we hopped into that, there was a story from last week that uh, I, I thought. Uh, Malachi here would appreciate. Um, do you want to know what the tour manager for Twisted Sister has been up to? Yes. I want a shot. How life on the road with Twisted Sister prepared the man running one country's or one county's COVID vaccine sites. 
<laughs> uh, rock concerts and COVID vaccine clinics aren't all that, but uh, aren't all that different. The man running the show at Baltimore's County's vaccine site has spent decades training and coordinating emergency preparedness at the state and local levels, but he credits much of his skills to the years on tour with Twisted Sister across 20 countries from 2004 to 2016. Um, instead of road cases full of instruments, now the cases are filled with medical supplies. Gaff tape, it turns out, marks out traffic cone locations as well as secures amp cables guiding patients to vaccinators within the cow palace at the Maryland state fairgrounds in Timonium. And it's important to know how to get the crowd moving. I want a shot. 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 Hey, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> I'm going to get a vaccine. <laughs> I'm going to be safe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'd rather be safe than stand out. I'd rather be safe than put makeup on my face and rock out. I'd rather be safe than rock. I uh, I attempted some show art for the last No Agenda on Sunday, and uh, I misspelled it. Unfortunately, I forgot a word, but I, it, it said uh, Pfizer's golden jab. And it was a Willy Wonka style ticket, and it said, "Congratulations, human resource! You have done your part for the new world order. Present this ticket to travel, see your friends, go grocery shopping, attend a show, kiss your grandma, and hug your friends." Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So what 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 um what part did you misspell? I forgot the uh, you have done your part. So it did say you have done part for the new world order, which I guess kind of works too. I mean, you've done part. You've done, <laughs> you done parted, son. Uh, so yeah, this guy's given out like 1,400 doses between 9, 9 a.m., 10.30. They're inoculating around 2,800 people to uh, daily without, or with close to zero waste. Um there are parallels between propping up a makeshift clinic and setting the stage for D. Snyder to sing about fighting, to sing about fighting, quote, the powers that be, this uh, roadie points out. Quote, the powers that be, the quote unquote. Oh, my God. Fucking. OK, sorry. Carry on. Uh, his nickname is a roadie is Mad Max. It comes from a tattoo of an armadillo on his arm. That's interesting. I know a couple of guys like that. I actually have a theater tag from uh, one of the shows that I did. The guy asked for the, the spot booth uh, spray paint wall tag and took it to a tattoo artist. <laughs> and it's Mark Hamill being held by fucking Homer Simpson in the bodyguard pose because the show <laughs> is uh, the bodyguard, the movie, the musical. <laughs> so some of, the, some of those guys take uh, road tattoos like that pretty serial. I mean... Malachi knows this. Don't you know all sorts oh, of yeah. fun, fun uh, nickname people? Of cowboy, course. cowboy, well, and red cowboy. Yeah, they're all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know too many. Man, they come come and go. You know, so I don't get to know many of them. Yeah, and and most a lot. I would say most of them are cool. You know, but a lot of them really suck. And um, you know, I mean, I guess I can I can understand where it would be easy to become a dick on the road, you know, because you're <clears throat> surrounded by your group of people. You know, you're all you're all right in your one family unit there, and anytime you go anywhere, everyone else is an idiot, you know. Yeah, except I can see that people. it's very well in one part incestuous, and in another part it's like us versus them, the road crew versus the local crew. Um, yeah. 
But we, you know, you got to understand with the local crew, they see all of the road crews or many of the road crews. And, um, and if yours sucks the worst, that's something to be proud of, I guess. <laughs> you're really holding that title there, eh, bud? Yeah. I think if yeah. you're in a band, I mean, if you're in a band and you're, you're touring everywhere you go, even to the fucking bathroom, you're a rock star. That can't, that can't not get to your head at some point. I mean, you're touring. I mean, regardless of how famous I am, I always feel like I'm a rock star wherever I go. Well, see, that's just your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I expect that from the talent, but, you know, you don't expect that from, like, you know, the A2. Yeah, the <laughs> audio yeah. assistant or... Uh, yeah. The, per- the kid right out of college that's on props for the first time. Yep. <laughs> Oh, dude! When, but, I was, when I was doing Feld, like we, it was just kind of a given that we were going to show up, and most of the uh, local crew was ready to shit all over us because Feld Entertainment had such a reputation for being a bullshitty sort of environment to work, and the local crews just didn't get along with the guys a lot of the time. It's pretty yeah, dumb. and trust me, the, it sticks. There are lists, and you know, and. Uh, and usually the list is the shit list. It's like, okay, here's the name. Got to remember this one. You know, um, you know, when we opened our venue, we weren't ready to open our venue. We had Beauty and the Beast come through. And I even told the head carp, he was cool for the most part, really. But I told him ahead of time, I was like, look, we are not ready. This is going to be impossible. <laughs> and uh, he didn't seem too worried about it. Had nothing to offer, you know, advice for me. So, and then we had a hurricane the day before they got there. So naturally, was, the, the Wilmington was flooded. And nobody could make it, and so there was like five trucks outside at seven a.m. with about fifteen people to load in. But in that um, that head carpenter's credit, you know, he we powered through, and I just kept getting people in, begging friends and stuff. You know, people were coming in not getting paid. During a fucking hurricane, you know. But after it was all over, we had you know, we had a fire alarm go off too. Which was <laughs> epic! Holy God. fuck! Um, you know, how, but else, how these, else could it go? These people, especially the um, the stage managers and shit that were on there, that were you know young and had no, you know, never been in any position, had absolutely no idea the insane amount of ridiculous, stupid work we had to do just to get to that fucking point. The day before, like two days before they got there, we were still hanging battens, man. It's like we have to have these fucking line sets up before you get here. You know, that's how far behind we were. Oh, you're talking the actual pipe. Yes. What the hell, what the hell are you even talking? What do you guys do for a living? What are you, what are you talking about? I have no idea okay. what you're talking about. I'm a, I'm a technical director at a, at a performing arts center. It's a, and, a, and so tours come through there. Everything from like, uh, just say Beauty and the Beast to uh, we had uh, Tony Bennett and Generation Acts with Steve Vai and Zach Wilde and, and you know, Britt Floyd, Weird Al. All kinds of shows come through there. Yeah, and, and uh, um, I, I, know, I've, so I've done uh, tour in theater, and one of the shows that I was on, Chicago, went went through this space. Um, yeah, so, so we're and both it, uh, entertainment worker backgrounds. Yeah, so uh, uh, it, okay. it's awesome. Booberry's on the uh, road perspective, and I'm on the house perspective. You know, and uh, but as I was saying about this, you know, so much work to be done here, and we're not union either. Uh, and uh, but one of the fucking assistant stage managers is like, we're never fucking coming back here and all this shit, you know? And these <laughs> local people like my wife were there working for free because they couldn't get paid through the uh, college I worked 
for because of their ridiculous hiring practices, you know? And anyway, so I had people there doing this out of the goodness of their own heart. And the tour was cussing them out and treating them like shit. You know what I mean? And everybody got a little pissy about that, including me. And we remembered names, you know? And then uh, this one fucking bitch came back on another show. It was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I've been here before. And, we're like, and I was like, no <laughs> shit. We all know exactly who you are, you know? Jesus. And it's, you know, it's insulting. You know, you have no perspective, you know? We don't talk shit to tours that have, you know, that totally suck. You know, yeah. we don't treat them like shit. We try to give them good food and stuff like that. It's one of the things that pissed me off. But I'm going to stop my rant now continue on with the show. <laughs> Finally found that jingle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, we have a we have a new one from uh you missed it last week. Uh Dame DeLorean from Bowl After Bowl sent us over this little bad boy. Hey man, if you don't get behind the schemes, the schemes will get behind you. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I heard that. I heard that on your last show, I think. Uh shit. Um I, uh, you know, I had a couple of other things pulled, but realistically, I just, I think I might save them for next week, uh, just because, um, I'm, I'm super, super curious to, uh, to get your views on unions. I mean, do you guys just want to get straight into it? I know I kind of set us up for something and now I'm not delivering, but. Well, I mean, it depends on what your other stories, what your other stuff is. If it's. If well, it's crazy like cryptid supernatural type of stuff. I want to hear it. Do you uh, um, do you want to hear the one about uh, taking happy pills to cure COVID? Yeah, I'm, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a clip for this one. Yeah, I do. We took care of them. Doctor David Seftel has been the physician for employees and their families at Golden Gate Fields for twenty years. Open your mouth wide. He's originally from South Africa and is Harvard educated. Who was sick? Was it the jockeys? Was it the guys who work in the stable, their families? It was really across the entire spectrum. And what's interesting about our community is that it really is a mirror image of the community that is most affected by COVID. A predominantly Latino community, incredibly hardworking. They don't have the luxury of working from home or working on Zoom. They have to be out there every single day. They have to be out there in the sunlight, mind you. That that's what he's talking about. He's like, you're being outdoors, right? I'm not the only one that's thinking that. <laughs> be out there. What does that even mean? Well, they're in the field. <laughs> it's probably in his head doing racist things. That that's that's kind of where where I'm going with that one. Uh, but yeah. But there are few early treatment options for COVID. The handful of drugs that have been approved are for high risk patients and must be delivered intravenously often in a hospital. Deep breath in and hold it. When I looked at this community, I said, I know the numbers. I know the stats. I know there's the science. And there's going to be disability unless I take action. Is that what you were thinking as the numbers kind of rolled in? This was a disaster in the making. Dr. Seftel felt his only choice to keep his patients from getting sicker was to act on a tip he got just hours before. The doctor offered them the antidepressant fluvoxamine. To understand why, you have to go back to the starting gate of our story. 
So I poked around a little bit on that one. Uh, it turns out that the study that all this was based off of was funded in part by the Bill and Melinda, uh, or the Gates Foundation, I should say, naturally, as, as it would go. Um, so you will take the happy pills. You will be in the pod. You will eat the bugs. You will eat the bugs, and you will own nothing, and you will be happy. And you will be happy, yes. And you will be very happy. You could print all your stuff. They were talking about that on tonight's hog story. And you won't even own the happy pills because they will be provided to you. You're renting that serenity. Yeah. You're renting it. <laughs> hey, we're already renting our food. But um, <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, let's see. Next story. Why a YouTube chat uh, about chess got flagged for hate speech. Have y'all seen anything on this one? Mm. You, well, you broke up. You said, re- repeat what you said for me. Uh, why a YouTube chat about chess got flagged for hate speech. Chess. Chess. Oh, God. It's a, it's a thinking man's game. I, I don't know if you've it ever... Could be, it could be because of racism. <laughs> uh, let's see. Exactly what happened still isn't clear. YouTube declined to comment, but uh, beyond saying that it removed the video, uh, that removing the video was a mistake. New studies suggest that it reflects shortcomings in artificial intelligence programs designed to automatically detect hate speech abuse and misinformation online. Uh the some serious chess player from Carnegie Mellon wondered if YouTube's algorithm may have been confused by discussions involving white and black pieces, attacks and defenses. So it's not the game that's racist. It's the artificial intelligence that's racist. Mm-hmm. Knew it. Yeah. Knew it. Uh, racist AI, man. <laughs> they think they're better than us. Sons of bitches. Well, you know, an AI is only as racist as his programmer is. <laughs> very, very racist. Uh, let's see what's up next. Rare meteor, uh, meteorite that fell on a uh, United Kingdom driveway may contain ingredients for life. Uh, this is out of our space is fake category. Uh, <laughs> fragments of the uh, space rock discovered on a driveway could provide answers to questions about the early history of, so, uh, of the solar system and life on Earth. It's almost uh, 300 grams of meteorite have been collected. They said that the rock was formed of a carbonaceous chondrite. That's a hard, sciencey word. The substance is some of the most primitive and pristine material in the solar system and has been known to contain organic material and amino acids, the ingredients for life. Sounds like space just jizzed on us. What you drinking I've got tonight? Pabst Blue Ribbon, Ribbon on, on my mind. mind. <laughs> <laughs> Malika, have you been listening to No Agenda of late? Yeah, yeah. I try to. If I catch at least half of their show. There, you know, every show, at least the first half, uh, and more often than not, I, I finish it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Should get a No Agenda a stream show. singing the Pabst Blue Ribbon song. That's a really good idea. Should work on I think that. I, I think it's pretty funny that John, for about the last year or two, uh, harps on every <laughs> single little innocuous sound within a podcast. There any sort of audio recording, but then he's just been cracking cans every show to the point where it's become part of it's part of the flow now. It's, it's I mean, there's memed multiple, itself into existence. It's memed itself into existence. Exactly. Are you following my Twitter, dude? I am not, but I can. I, I've just started kind of reusing Twitter in a more proactive way as of late. I literally use those exact words just like 
24 hours ago. Whoa. He's mind melded. Yes. We're one now. We're all in this to get her. We are in it to get her. Uh, what Don't was the racist. next story? <laughs> uh, speaking of racist, China and Russia say they're going to join forces to build a moon base. Sorry, sons of bitches didn't realize that the moon was fake. <laughs> Those idiots. <laughs> Stupid fucking assholes. Fucking walking around thinking the moon is real. Come on. God. Yeah, they haven't even found it in there. We're so fucked. <laughs> uh, the two countries agreed to the plans on Tuesday, March 9th, saying the International Lunar Research Station would be, quote, open to all interested countries and international partners. Uh, the memorandum of understanding between the two countries announced by the China National Space Administration uh, dis- described the program as a comprehensive scientific experiment based with the capability of long-term autonomous operation built on the lunar surface and slash or on the lunar orbit that will carry out a multidisciplinary and multi-objective scientific research activities such as lunar exploration and utilization. Word salad. <laughs> and tossing word salads all day long. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't it wasn't just me that was kind of feeling a little uh loopy loopy with the with the way it flows. Uh lunar based observation, basic scientific experiment and technical verification. I wonder what technical verification means. <laughs> it means someone looks over someone's shoulder at a screen and says, I see that. It's verified. That's basically it. Yeah. It's a blue check. It's a blue check. It's a blue it's, space check. It's uh it's basically it's your email has been sent. A technical verification. And then you go back and look and you say, Oh yes, look, my sent mailbox says it's sent. That's technical verification. Uh it's robots. The the base will well, speaking of robots, the base will be self sufficient enough to work without constant resupply from Earth. It will exist on the uh, lunar surface or uh, orbit, excuse me, or both. Um, and it goes on. Neither country has ever landed a human on the moon because the moon's not real. Uh, however, Russia remains a leading spacefaring country after the space race of the twentieth century. Uh, yeah, so that's that one. Um, sadly. The creator of the audio cassette tape has passed away at the age of 94, Lou Ottens. I don't know if y'all seen this one or not. No idea. Uh, So a cassette tape back in the day was a piece of plastic that had a magnetic strip in the inside of it with two wheels. And you would put it into what is called a cassette deck, a cassette deck. Excuse me. (laughs) Freudian slip there. (laughs) Trying to get into my cassette deck. Uh, but yeah, he uh, started working for the Philips Electronic Manufacturing Company in 1952. Um, but he created the audio cassette tape, which he launched in 1963 at the Berlin Radio Show Electronics Fair. Um, I used a lot of cassettes growing up, so this one makes me sad. I was bummed to see this. It's actually doing some cassette uh, cassette tapes. Cassette. Oh my god, cassette what's tapes wrong? on the pre-stream. English is what's wrong. <laughs> it's a very complicated language. I wonder why cassettes. I wonder if they're black metal musicians or if they're just punk rockers or maybe I'm not sure. But I know the last few years I stopped paying attention a couple of years ago um, to most everything, really. But there was a really kind of a, an interesting new little wave of black metal and specifically like the really super dark, like Norwegian black metal and uh, the 
trancey kind of black metal that was everything was getting produced on tapes and very, very small, small amounts, small batch tapes, cassette tapes only whole albums and EPs and all these little underground bands. Pretty smart, but just I don't understand why, why the cassette tape, because then you have to get a whole new player that is being wiped out of existence, I think, to, to play it on cassette. Well, you should have all your tape cassette players that you had when you grew up in the 80s. You know? That is true. So we should just be hoarding around a bunch of <laughs> shit forever? I do. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, the way that I've, it's awesome. it, the way that I've, that I've looked at it is I've unpacked pretty much the last 15 years of shit that I've accumulated. And now I've just kind of <laughs> turned it all in towards this show because I was able to get the record player hooked up. And my uh, my work box, road box, uh, boom box that's got a cassette and CD player, and I get a little aux cable running out of that, so I can listen to my tapes and shit. I like it. There you go. It's got a good. It's uh, fun. Yeah, it's I like mean, listening to vinyl. You know, it's, it's it's fun sometimes. It's just yeah, I like it. It takes you tend to listen to the whole album, you know, because it's in order. It's harder to change from one song to another than just clicking, click, you know, so. It's nice to listen to an album or a tape in full. You know what I mean? I, I, I could see that. And there's something really valuable about the, the tangibility of having that music recorded in a way that you can actually hold it with your hands. Yeah. Like a vinyl yeah. record or a and it's CD. Last, it lasts forever. <laughs> and, and it lasts for it's a while. while. It lasts for a while. That format's still tapes. there, man. Yeah. I know, man, but I got mixtapes that I've had for decades that sound like shit now, even though they've yeah. been encased in plastic it. and in a box, but they sound like garbage. But it's like those a songs fine wine, together man. And, yeah, yeah, it is. And then I think what's really mm, cool because it like has that, <laughs> it has that, that audible patina that gives oh, it that dude. right kind of age. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I like that audible patina. Yeah. I'm going to name uh, my next band, actually, Audible Patina. Nice. The one I will I was, listen to that. The next one I was thinking of was Shit Grinder and the Splashbacks. That's a good <laughs> one. That's a good one. <laughs> I'll listen to that, too. Um, so uh, my last little quick story here. Jack Dorsey is selling his first tweet as an NFT for millions of dollars. Highest Jesus bid Christ, dude. It's currently $2.5 million. Could you imagine? I mean, this isn't my idea. I just saw this on fucking on the tweeters earlier today. But could you imagine the billions that the orange man has lost since he's been deplatformed from the tweeters? If he could start selling his tweets as as non fungible tokens, wow! If this if this is actually probably this is a real thing. Yeah. yeah, he could almost cancel the national debt. <laughs> you, I mean, it's just it's a it's a pretty smart observation. That's kind of why I like that shitstorm fire tire fire of Twitter is because as much garbage is on there. That's like that's like real humanity and all of its brilliance and disgust and just this torrent of filth and and shining light everywhere. It's just it's fantastic. But yeah, I think it's a brilliant concept. It's just a brilliant notion, you know, if if, if Jack Dorsey if any motherfucker can just decide that what they have to what they've done is now a oh still there, um, I have lost y'all both. Check one two, oh, god damn it. Check one two. Check check. Hello. Hey. Sorry. Copy that. Lost my internet there for a second. No. We must have been getting close to something. Yeah. 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 Circling over target. Circling over target, <sighs> boys. <I> know, I know. <laughs> what were we talking you about? You can't, no. can't mention the orange man. 
Yeah, that's what it was. I know. AI. They want to make him completely erased from history. Dude, it, that's because he's, he's that dangerous to them? Wow. How is that even possible? How is it possible that a pageant fucking clown, a, a you know, <laughs> a fucking reality show host who ended up somehow landing the presidency because he was placed there for specific reasons, in my opinion, to divide people. Uh, why is he all of a sudden so dangerous that like, it's like no holds barred, all guns out to try to erase him from history to a point where to be like, Trump was never even president. He's never he even speaks there. to average Americans and they like what he's saying, whether or not he's, he's a dick or not, which is basically, he's not saying much of anything. Does it, I mean, is, do you really believe that? I don't. I don't know. Is I, I, you know, I, it, you might be dead ass right on it, you know, about uh, him being there on purpose to f- fuck everything up. But it just doesn't well, seem that regard- that's possible, though, with a lot of other, you know, a lot of the other regardless, things. Regardless if he was there, if he was placed there or not, it's still it, it provided the media an opportunity to latch on and create this blue and on psychosis. Man, because if it all is an act, then this the media, they're they're good at it. They're real good at it. Oh, they're fucking pros, man. And like Pelosi's good at it to set all this up and set up the whole fence around the Capitol and open the borders and rig an election. It's amazing. They're great (laughs) at it. You know, if if he's on their side of the new world order or the globalist or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I'm going to have to fact check you there. The new world order does not, in fact, exist. Fact check false. I was talking about the wrestling, the wrestlers. Oh, right, 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 right. That one primetime reality TV yeah. show. Right. But doesn't it, I mean, isn't it interesting to you, though, that this is a guy, we're talking about the bad orange, who was just running his mouth, running his mouth, running the country and running his mouth all day, every day, an unstoppable force of whatever you want to call it, propaganda information is irrelevant. It's beside the point. This is a guy who could not and would not shut up. It was entertainment. And now, and now, what the fuck is he saying? Where can you even find what he's saying? Is it possible? I don't believe it's possible at all for a minute that he's just quieted down. Oh, and, and, and if that's the case, if that's the case that the bad orange has just piped down, what does that mean? He's been releasing statements. Have you noticed that? that the, I haven't the, seen like, anything, but I'm, I'm not sure where he's, to look. He though. released one just uh, yesterday. Or maybe it was today about the um, it had something to do. He was ripped. It, oh yeah, the Washington Post had to uh, 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 retract their whole uh, story about, or not a story, but a line about Trump calling the Secretary of State, I believe, from Georgia, and saying, "You must find me the votes," or something like oh, that. Yeah, I'm that just shit, coming off yeah. the top of my head here, you know, but. Yeah. They use that also in the impeachment trial, you know, as evidence. You know, that's kind of what they impeached him for was intimidating people. And now they really the Washington him. Post um, quietly retracted that. And um, and he released a statement bashing them. But it was written with like the office of the president letterhead. You know, oh, yeah, because he has that relief. office of the former president or whatever. Yeah. So just so, like Obama or anybody else. You know, yeah, of, of course. But it's like, so, so where do you find that? Like, where do you find that statement I, or that? I mean, is there I any think audio? I saw it on the Gateway Pundit. Let me see Gateway if I can Pundit. find it. Okay. Yeah, man. So he's been reduced from Twitter 
to Gateway Pundit. <laughs> this is right. what I'm saying. It's well, like, this Twitter. is a guy, all this is a guy who, would, who would otherwise be running Here his mouth is. all the time. And could you imagine that he would stop? This is the thing. I, I, I guess I'm just kicking the can down the road with this. It's just, I find it hard to believe <clears throat> that this is a guy who would just now start to hold his tongue and only say things that he thinks are appropriate at appropriate times. Yeah, here's a statement from today. Uh, I'm going to read it real quick. Let me get in the zone here. Get my readers on. Get your readers (laughs) on. That doesn't work. Okay. The Washington Post just issued a... This is Donald Trump talking now, and I don't do a good Donald Trump impression, so I'm not going to try. But uh, imagine me speaking as Donald Trump. The Washington Post just issued a correction as to the contents of the incorrectly reported phone call I had with respect to voter fraud in the great state of Georgia. While I appreciate the Washington Post correction, which immediately makes Georgia makes the Georgia witch hunt a non-story, the original story was a hoax right from the very beginning. I would further appreciate a strong investigation into Fulton County, Georgia, and the Stacey Abrams political machine, which I believe would totally change the course of the presidential election of Georgia. Fulton County has not been properly audited for vote signature, vote or signature verification. They only looked at the areas of the state where the, there most likely would be few problems, and even there they found a large number of mistakes. We are seeking to find and reveal the large-scale election fraud which took place in Georgia. Many residents agree, and their anger caused them not to turn out to vote for two Republican senators in the January election. The consent decree signed between Raffsenberger and Stacey Abrams was not approved by the Georgia State Legislature and therefore should be deemed invalid, and the election results changed. Why the governor and Raffsenberger... I can't say that. Damn it, Adrian. Ever approved this consent decree is one of the great questions. Like, why the governor and Raffensberger ever approved this consent decree is one of the great questions. We look forward to an answer. Yeah. Yawn. Boring. And then his last, he sums it up right here. You will notice the established media errors, omissions, mistakes, and outright lies always slant one way against me and against Republicans. Meanwhile, stories that hurt Democrats or undermine their narratives are buried, ignored, or delayed until they can do the least harm. For example, after an election is over. Look no further than the negative coverage of the vaccine that preceded the election and the overdue celebration of the vaccine once the election had concluded. A strong democracy requires fair and honest press. This latest media travesty underscores that legacy that legacy media outlets should be regarded as political entities, not journalistic enterprises. I agree. Uh, in any event, I thank the Washington Post for the correction. Whatever, man. He's probably wore the fuck out, man. They've just been beating his ass down for four I don't believe years. it, man. Yeah. You, I don't believe you it. Think, you think they got him? Oh, yeah, they fucking got him. For sure, because dude, the guy has been reduced to making statements on Gateway Pundit. Like, where is he coming from? Where is he now? This is oh, this is what I'm saying. Is this is a guy who couldn't shut the fuck up for four but years. But he's got more anything. power. He's got more power than any of them got, dude. He's got a whole so, fucking so, army of, so of magic. Where, so where is he? Right. So he, what's why? he going to do right now? He's too, I don't know. I think he's just uh, sitting in wait. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I do not think so, man. What I do just, you think I, he's doing? He, what do I, you think? Honestly, I think he's probably trying to find a way through. I think, I mean, maybe it's Gateway Pundit. I think he's probably. uh, They're just reporting on the release. 
you know, the you press know, release. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what he's doing. I just have a hard time believing that this is a guy who's going to sit down and shut up and do what he's told and be silenced <sighs> after, after all this time. I just don't – I find it hard to believe, even though that's obviously what's happening. I just and it's no wonder because he what? doesn't have a, he doesn't have any platform. He's not able to do anything on YouTube. He's not able to do anything on Twitter. Yeah, I'm check it out. Clearly, Facebook, not n- nothing, nothing available for this guy. Why? Because he's such a huge threat. How? Well, he had like fifty million views from his CPAC speech, and now they've erased all of it from fucking YouTube. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they are trying because to he's erase. getting fifty million views. Man, yes. that is power. Yes, and they but, want they can But see, he knows he's got that power. I know he's not dumb. So what's happening? What's happening? I mean, I I, I don't know, and, and I'm not I'm not at trying to ask you. I'm not. That's you know, a good frauding. question, though. It is what is happening, and what is it is like? Happening? Do they have the mil? I think they're using. Look at what they're doing with the military, attacking like Tucker Carlson and other media outlets, and oh uh, yeah, dude, they're shit fucking like tightening the screws That's, on everything related to him. They're trying to wipe him out of the memetic, out of what is being the, created right now, which is the new reality. They're yeah. literally recreating reality. And and just replacing like if they're building a house, they're ripping out the studs and they're putting new ones in its place overnight. Yeah, you know they're well, yeah. really. They do not want a Republican Party. First, well, they want the old Republican Party back that had like the Bushes and the Romneys and the and the Mitch McConnells and the, the ones that won't love to be in the minority, so that they could get you know their shady deals done and and act like they're working you know really doing something when they're not doing shit. Donald Trump was the one that came in there and proved to everybody that they're all in on it together. That's, <laughs> I, know. I mean, you know, because now there are no there's two no parties. There's only right. one. They yeah. want to get rid of the illusion of two. Yeah. And they think that, you know, with the help of the media owning it and keeping calling everybody a racist that doesn't get with it, they're going to just win and everything's going to be fine. I don't think it's going to play out like that. I don't think so either. You know, they're going to have to rig every fucking election, you know, because they they're going to go through to two years well, they, from they, now. Gas thing, is going to be like twenty dollars a fucking gallon. That's the Your thing, health care is going to be nothing. It's going to our dollars going to be worth nothing. And they're going to they be like, we won the midterm. Yeah, they won't need to rig elections at this point. If they keep if things keep going, which they will, because there's no stopping it. It's a it's a glacier. It's what going the to completely fuck president whoa, 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 destroys whoa, whoa, whoa. your energy I thought, production. I, I, thought, I thought we were uh, experiencing global warming, man. <laughs> we are. That's why there's going to be more viruses. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I'm curious if you can actually kill a meme or not. Will Trump's survive past his persona? Will he transcend into an actual meme? I mean, I'm almost at the point where uh, we should really open the meme floodgates. Like, Cancel Pepe Le Pew. Well, every picture of Joe Biden should have a picture of Pepe Le Pew on it, or Andrew Cuomo for that. For that. Actually, especially Cuomo. Yeah. Have y'all talked? Everybody knows this. I just don't want to jump into Cuomo real quick. But this is the most obvious shit in the world. If everybody doesn't see this, then I don't know how you don't. That the Cuomo thing is nothing more than a distraction Absolutely. to get get them off of the, looking at the uh, yeah. the nursing home deaths. That yeah. are have linked to all of the Democrat governors. And I think yes. he's, he's willing to take the fall. He's like, sure. Because all of them is like, 
oh man, he told a girl to eat the sausage, you know? It's like, that's okay, whatever. That's not really, he didn't like rape somebody like Bill Clinton, you know? But uh, it's not even a well, big deal. Well, they got to get him out. I mean, the dude's, he's, he's, you know, his death, it's, his death knell is coming. He's going to be the fall guy. He's going to take it. He's going to get, he's going to get cut for sure. He's off the team. Uh, but they but can't he's going to drag it out too. They, you know? Yeah. They, they can't say because he mishandled the pandemic, whatever, the right. fake pandemic. They have to do it because of this. Just like, right. just like fucking Billy Clinton. Oh, they had to, good old they had chipper to, Clinton there. They had to get him out of there, not because he was moving cocaine in through fucking Mena, Arkansas, and yeah. on the tip of George Bush Sr. and fucking Ollie North and all these other assholes that he was sucking cocks for. He was useless. He had overplayed his hand. And same thing with fucking Cuomo. <laughs> Cuomo overplayed. He uh, he read ahead. He wasn't, he wasn't read in on what he was supposed to do, and he jumped the gun, and he fucked up. And, of course, they have to – you're exactly right, dude. They have to make a distraction. They have to say, don't look over here, but look over there. And, in fact, while you're looking over there, remember the whole Me Too? Remember Me Too? This is why – this is important and all this bullshit. And it's fucking huh. fake. Well, see, yeah, it is fake because they, 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 yeah, they can clutch their pearls like they're – like you know, like he did some real bad shit, but he, it's also they gave him an easy out because he's, he can always, you know, in a couple years be like, you know, well, I was just joking when I told her to eat the sausage, you know, or whatever, uh, and everybody be like, yeah, it's a funny joke, you know. But the thing about it, like Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer, and uh, Inslee is uh, from Washington. They're all they were all getting in the news somehow about their mishandling and cover up of the nursing home deaths and, and requiring COVID patients in there. And that's a big deal that, you know, telling, deal. telling somebody to eat a sausage is not a big deal. <laughs> in, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, do you think it get over it. Do you, you, do you think it's even real? Do you think any of these allegations are real or do you think it's all manufactured? I mean, I'm I think it's all manufactured and I think he's fine with it. You know, I think, yeah. I think they manufactured it because he was the, he was the white guy, you know, that they could, they could do it and he's sure going to get an easy out and he'll, he won't even resign. You know, I, uh, he's, he's, I do have a couple of clips that's, um, <clears throat> that brings up both Biden and, and Cuomo. Um, I just I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole uh, just because now we got shit to do. We do have shit to do. And essentially uh, what Cuomo and these I'm going governor- to eat this sausage sandwich while you play these clips. <laughs> it's uh, a fucking eat- meatball sandwich. It's a freaking <laughs> meatball sandwich. Uh, essentially, when someone yells at you for saying, you know, because you're not wearing your mask, it's like, oh, you're going to be responsible for killing uh, hundreds of people look at him and be like, "Yeah, still, still not going to get me anywhere close to Cuomo." That's that's sort of that's sort of how I, how I'm looking at it. You know, he's a New York State serial killer champ, 2020. Yeah. Um, Randy I always want to use though. I don't want to use because the... you got you got the wall of Karens, man. You got this <laughs> massive force field that are like, yes, it was the right thing to do. It's all the right thing to do. He's a fucking hero. They gave him an Emmy. And those are most people. Those are most people. No one listening to this, and this is never going to get through to anybody. <laughs> I'm you know, sorry to say. This is just kind of – this is fun for us because we're nerds and we're cool. Uh, <laughs> we, are the, gonna, we are the coolest. This is going to make no difference in anyone's lives. It's just going to make us feel good. Hey, man, it does make a difference in my life. 
Damn it, it makes a huge difference in my life, and we're both, we're all valuable people, and we're creating something of value. But honestly, when you look out there, man, I mean, I don't know, we're fucked. <laughs> I do like the uh, the Cuomo comeback though to the uh, Karen. Uh, I think another good one might be like a the Bill Hicks. You'd be like, I've wiped whole you know, <laughs> generations, civilizations <laughs> off my <laughs> belly. Yeah, with a <laughs> with sock. a dirty gym. <laughs> so I, I don't really Bill care Hicks, about dude. your mother. <laughs> I love Bill Hicks. I was gonna, I was just last minute trying to fuck around, and uh, I was gonna send you the. Aren't y'all a bunch of hired killers? Shut up, little ISO. That's the the best <laughs> one. Talking about the military. <laughs> Yeah. I will. I will find that one. Uh, I do. I do need to get more. Uh, more Bill Hicks ISOs. Always. That's that's something we can never have enough of. <coughs> I'm gonna uh, dig no. it up right now and I'll send it to you. <coughs> well, uh, while you're doing that, we'll um we'll go ahead and transition into second half of the show. We might have an intermission here later tonight. We'll see what happens. <coughs> uh, Excuse But me. the reason that we brought on Dean tonight is to uh, kind of talk about uh, just a little bit on the show, but more so his experience in being a union member. Um, the way I was introduced to the Up Is Down podcast, I was driving cross country last summer to do the uh, the teardown, the last essential um, just pack up, I guess, of the show that I was on. And I was listening to the No Agenda stream for a lot of that. And I'd caught your show on the stream. I just, it was right after you had announced what the the name of the show was. So I missed it. And uh, I, I was always wondering what that show was. It was an episode that you were, uh, that you were ranting on your experiences being a union post uh, worker. Indeed. And uh, yes, I, I guess uh, to kind of start us off, um, uh, a brief background into uh, maybe that particular aspect of your life. How long have you uh, been a union member? Uh, I was. I'm no longer there now. I've since resigned from the post office, um, gratefully and and happily. So <laughs> I, I can't. I'm embarrassed. It took me so long. Honestly, um, uh, so I I started out with the the post office. Uh, I'm, just, I'm sending this out to you real quick. Here's that that ISO clip. Um, anyway, so I, yeah, I started out with the post office mostly because um, I had cooked food for like 20 years in kitchens, and I'd gone all the way up, and I was chefing. I was like Jefferson Airplane for like the last three or four years, running and building kitchens and stuff. And in the process of that, throughout the last, I guess the tail end of that period of my life I got married and I well I moved to Portland and I got married and bought a house and found myself pregnant well you know we were pregnant and then I had gotten fired for the first time because I'm kind of an asshole in the kitchen and I run a tight ship and people didn't like my style even though I did a lot of good stuff but whatever so I found myself fired and I wanted to protect myself from that ever happening again because now I have a kid on the way and a mortgage to pay and so um, I went and got a job at the post office and it was pretty awesome. It was really fucking hard and I was totally dazzled and glamored by the union and all the rights and all the collectivism. And this was back in 2015. So I was still dead asleep consciously. You know, I mean, I've always been kind of a fairly conscious person for the most part. Uh, just just being who I am, the kind of person that I am. Um, I have a I had a, a history of 
psychedelic experimentation and I've always been an artist for as long as I can remember. So I've always had kind of a line in uh, to a different type of consciousness. But um, when you move to a different city and you fall in love and you, you know, you do these kind of things, your, your brain changes and your body changes. So I allowed myself to get dumbed down for a long time because I felt like that was the right course of action. And then, um, yeah, and I started working at the post office. And it was great for a long time. And then after a little bit, maybe about two years, three years of delivering mail, um, I never had any real, like, the, the, uh, I just never noticed the union part of it. I was proud to be it because it was sort of pushed into your mind that your your union, your union, your union. And it was a shop steward. And I thought about maybe being a shop steward. Um and I was never able to go to any of the union meetings because they were always on a night that um, I was, you know, I was at home with my kid because my wife at the time was working and my kid was young enough that, and we didn't know anyone necessarily that we trusted to be babysitters. So I never got a chance to go to the union meetings and maybe that's my problem. Maybe I didn't because I was never like regularly monthly showing up and listening to people's you know, tout the collectivist mentality. Uh, it just never stuck with me. And then 2016 came around and 2017 was when I kind of woke up 2016, 2017, watching the election, um, the whole election cycle and noticing the Bernie Sanders stuff and all the crazy Google shit that was happening and the social media and all the nuts, crazy stuff that happened in the 2016 election was when I sort of had my uh, sort of brave awakening into a different way of thinking and seeing things. And it was about a year later, I started studying more about collectivism and socialism, not because I was worried about it or afraid of anything or had any inclination that maybe I was a part of something that was a kind of against my my soul. But I just started noticing that there are so many parallels about my union and unions in general and collectivist union uh, bargaining power and it just started kind of giving me the creeps. Mm. And then I became more and more outspoken during our standups in the office at, in the post office, uh, because there was such a, there was such a visceral and obvious like kowtowing, you know? And, and I started noticing that all the, the shop stewards and all of our union representatives were also working full-time jobs and then volunteering their time to this, to this organization, to the union which claims to protect us from the tyranny of the government. And if it wasn't for them, then we'd be having to work, you know, 10 or 12 hour days and we'd never have days off and we'd never have <laughs> health benefits and we'd have to work around the clock. And this is why you have to pay your dues. And by the way, um, <clears throat> I didn't realize it, but when I was going undergoing training and orientation to work at the post office, you are required to join the union. They don't say that you're required but they spend a, they spend a whole day, the branch that I paid dues to spent a whole day in our orientation, uh, basically convincing us that okay now just you know before you leave make sure you sign this piece of paper and we're all so you know we just we're we're, we're we don't know anything about this so everyone signs it because what they, what we want to do is we want to go to work, we want we want the job we're, we got hired we're in training we're in orientation we spend a week doing all this information uh, gathering and all these classes and stuff cuz believe me it's not that complicated to deliver mail but they sure do want you to uh 
to know every single thing about it. Now I take all kinds. I do want to ask real quick is Oregon is a right to work state, correct? Yes. For now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm sure we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll touch onto that, uh, a little bit here later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you think that, um, you, they, so you were hired and then you joined the union. So in theory, I was hired. And before I could start to work, I had to, I, I was intimidated, quite honestly, looking back right. on it now, it was part of the hiring process to sign off to, to join. To give this part union. of your money to the union. Yes. Which yep. I will say in theory, I don't really take issue with it. I don't necessarily take issue with the concept of, of unions uh, as a whole. Um, the situation that I've been in, uh, I mean, most of it's been on the road and touring scenarios, Mm-hmm. So I'm never really like my card was out of uh, Louisiana for six years until I moved to uh, Minnesota and then I transferred over. Um, so as a whole, like having that representation uh, to sort of back you when it comes to these contract negotiations with various producers uh, or entertainment companies, like I-, I get why people need it. And I think it does serve a purpose, but they're not, but- they're not backing you. And and that they're not backing you. And that's what I think the problem is, is that at some point it flips over. It it does that tried and true classic. You see yourself live long enough to become the villain. It backs the, it backs the job. And as long as you um, prescribe your life to that job, then yeah, you can convince yourself it's backing you and giving you all these rights and protecting you from the tyranny of government. But if you don't prescribe yourself to that job, meaning if you don't replace your identity as an individual who is capable of more than your job, if you don't do that, then no, it's it becomes painfully clear that that they're not backing you. In fact, if you are that person who doesn't prescribe yourself to your job, you are the enemy of that union. They do not want to hear about you. They'll still take your money. They want your money and they need your money. Uh, but they don't want to hear about you. So they say it's a voice for one and a voice for all, but that's not true. Now, it's just not true. If I'm not mistaken, I think in this the last uh, you know, bailout or whatever we'll call it, the COVID stimulus package of $1.9 trillion that was just passed. I, th- um, I know that uh, Democrat-run municipalities around the country were you know, saved, had their, you know, their uh, budgets saved from this, and so, and I think that unions had their retirement plans saved as well. Many different unions around the country, <laughs> and yes. wouldn't that be their own poor management? And why do why is the taxpayer what what why do I have to pay a union pension? Okay, a, well here I, let's let's roll one taxpayer. of these clips. Let's roll one okay. of these clips. I got a good one for that. Let's. I Great. think I'm a, what we should probably play. A clip about is um, probably the, the most publicly scrutinized union and labor organization right now that's contemporary to today is the teachers unions because everyone mm-hmm. wants to open up. You can't really open up any local economy without first opening up schools. For some reason, they're all fucking closed down, which we know now is a complete crime. Um, but if you want to understand how unions work, and how big, big lobbying unions that have real political power, that have the ability to make or break whole local economies. Um, let's just play this uh, teacher machine 
clip. It's about four minutes long, and it's I think it's probably one of the most concise um, pieces of audio that explains how these type of unionized labor agreement machines work and why they work. Is it teacher machines or teacher unions? Uh, teacher machine. Oh, God damn it. I did the thing. I don't see it. Christ on wheels. <laughs> no! PA teacher machine. PA teacher machine. Maybe I'm just, maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe I'm just a moron. You may not know it, but we're all part of a massive machine. If you look closely, you can see it almost everywhere. It's on the radio and on TV. It even affects the way we conduct our elections and run our governments. But it's starting to break down. And as it falls apart, the American economy could collapse with it. To understand how the machine works, let's take a look at one of the gears. Meet Sally, a school teacher. By all accounts, Sally is a great teacher. She works hard every day, helping kids, being productive, and generating the income she lives on. Like the rest of us, a portion of Sally's income is automatically deducted to pay her taxes. But in Sally's case, something else is taken out too. Sally works for the government. And to get that job, she is required by law to join a union. Unions work by collecting dues from their members and then using that money to lobby for better pay, better benefits, and better job security. In a public sector union like Sally's, the government acts as a kind of collection agency, automatically deducting those dues from her paycheck and sending them to the union. Now meet Jim, the head of Sally's union. Jim's got a lot of power. Jim's power comes from the flow of money that the government sends his union every month. Jim's a communist. best interest to increase that flow. In fact, (laughs) his job depends on it. Growing the union is exactly what Jim gets paid to do. So he uses some of the money the government sends him to pay for a media campaign, promoting his plan for more teachers, higher pay, and better schools. Teachers love it. Parents love it. Who wouldn't want better schools? In fact, an up-and-coming politician named Edward loves it so much, he makes Jim's plan the centerpiece of his platform. Once Edward signs on, Jim decides to spend even more of the union's money on contributions to Edward's campaign. And with all that extra money, Edward is able to outspend his opponents. The plan works perfectly. Edward gets elected. The government spends more money on the public school system. Is it a, hold on, the can I stop real more... quick? Because I just like, because man, it just, that's made me just think of something that I never, just never thought of before. Where, you know, I didn't want to miss it. Is it, is that, it's just like they're saying, they're spending this money that could be used for retirements and other shit on political advertising and campaigns. And if they run out of the fucking money, then they don't have any more money to give to the politicians for their political campaigns. That's right. And so they they squeeze the taxpayer. Yeah. For that money to keep the fuck whole that thing shit. Going. Now I'm even more pissed off. <laughs> God damn it! I'm sick of my money getting sucked away. I fucking fuck cock. Sorry. I haven't. I mean, there's the follow up clip. This is the, I have a follow up clip um, to this one. Uh, teachers union ruining it all. If you want to play that after this one, man, uh, please continue. But I wanted to just you know because it makes so much sense, and it's and I was just thinking, why did I never think of that? It's so obvious. It's right there. 
that's it's right there. It's and once you see it, dude, Malachi, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. All it's right. there. All right. We'll uh, continue, we'll... please, if, or, or not, whatever. Dues um, from all the new spending, and Edward gets more union contributions for his next campaign. It's a well-oiled machine, except there's one piece missing. Where did all of that money come from in the first place? <laughs> we know that Edward got his money from the union. The union got its money from Sally, and Sally got her money from the government. But where did the government get all of its money? From all of us, of course. First, we work hard to make the money. Then some of that money is automatically deducted from our paychecks to pay for government employees like Sally. Then some of that money is automatically deducted from her paycheck to pay dues to unions like Jim's. Jim uses some of that money to make campaign contributions to politicians like Edward, and Edward uses those contributions to campaign for more teachers like Sally. And the machine just keeps growing and growing, nonstop because of us. Our money is the fuel. For decades, teachers unions have been among our nation's largest political donors. They influence who gets elected and who doesn't. Perhaps because of this, the United States now spends more money per student on public schools than at any time in our history. We're getting the more money part of Jim's plan, but without the better schools part. And that's because the machine isn't designed to produce better schools. It's designed to produce more money for unions and more donations for politicians. It's a political perpetual Jesus. motion machine. And the only way to stop it is to break the chain of automatic money transfers from taxpayers to the government to the unions and then back to politicians. It's our money that fuels it. So it's up to us to do something about it before the fuel finally runs out. I'm just going to bitch about it. What, uh, where did you find this at? That's, it's just a self from a platform that is kicking people off left and right, but yet protects (laughs) pedophiles. You might've heard of it. It's called YouTube. (laughs) R tube. (laughs) I love that. They're like using the MK ultra, uh, music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I have a few more clips that are like that. And you can always tell, like, it's just, it doesn't even matter which side it on. As long as there's like some sort of cutesy kind of fun music behind it, it's all, it's all triggering because it affects your, your brain in, in the, in a really interesting way. But I think that's, that clip pretty much nails it down. That clip is the nailer. Like, that's the one. It's about four and a half minutes of just like, this is how it works. And and depending on how on, on how you sit on the fence, if you sit on the fence at all, it, it's great or it's horrible. I th- personally, I think it's fucking horrible. And the idea of this guy, you know, of course, the end of it, the the message is if we stop, we got to stop this thing. And I'm like, good luck. How could you ever stop this thing? You know, I mean, that could, it, I don't think it could ever happen. Hmm. I don't. I don't think you can either. But I have but a follow-up clip if you want to if you want to get into that. I, I, real quick, I just want to say I, what I, one thing I do think that could happen is that Booberry could make a uh, a, a little four-minute clip about how either the moon is fake or it's hollow, hollow or something like that with that music in the background, and I would believe it. Oh wait, are you saying you don't believe me now? <laughs> well, I'm not saying that. I was saying to Brutus. No, I didn't say that. I said I would believe it if it had the weird music in the background. Oh, okay. We should just have that music bed for the entire show. 
Dude, I've done shows hours. like that before. It's 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 tricky. It's not hard to do, but I've done shows like that before, and I've gone back and listened to them later, and I'm like, ugh, I I'm never gonna do a show, a whole show with the with the music bed behind it anymore, <laughs> unless unless I don't say anything. If it's just clips, I've done one show where it was just clip after clip as like a big giant 45 minute long montage. That works out pretty well because that's it gets into your head and because oh. it's just a, it's just a, it's an to me it's a sound landscape you're painting something that could be sound. cool I would check that out I would yeah, check that a out in a heartbeat actually yeah the episode I have that's that is that uh it's called the new way I forget what number it is but it's on my podcast feed but it's called the new way mm. oh and it's, and- all, it's all about surveillance state stuff. Uh, and for anybody that's listening um, that wants to go check out the Up Is Down podcast uh, post this show, be sure and check out the two uh, the two parter on the the couple from Libya. I, the, their name escapes me at the moment. Jim and Joanne Moriarty. I regret to inform you that uh, Jimmy just recently passed away. Holy shit! No way. Yeah, yeah. They had a really really rough month. Um, they live in Texas. I think in the southeastern part of Texas, they had a pretty rough month, like everyone in Texas had. Uh, but theirs is a little bit different, as because um, I'm in contact with them, and I don't want to say anything too too much. But I think I can <clears throat> say publicly that they were under a lot of attacks from the same kind of stalkers and assailants who've been fucking with them for years, but particularly during their blackout and their power outage, and then uh, it just went on and on for about a good solid month. And um, we were emailing back and forth, and then I just got an email last week from Joanne, and she said that uh, Jimmy's heart stopped, and he died. Well, uh, thank you for informing us. That's uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's tragic, um, especially with just the, the unprecedented level of, I mean, that's exactly what it was, is a tax. Yeah. Um, whether it be financial or coming after the job or threatening messages, it's a it's All a roller stuff. coaster of two yeah. episodes. Um, do you remember the, um, the the two numbers for them? I believe it was eighty one and eighty two, or eighty and eighty one. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you're listening to this, definitely check out those two episodes um, uh, after this one. It's a uh, it's a really really phenomenal story. What they have they're heavy. They're heavy episodes. I've gotten more feedback about those episodes than anything I've ever done before. I think that they're they've really made an impact on people's lives, and they're they're such amazing people, Jimmy and Joanne. But that story and their truth about it is, I think, it's really really important. And it's about ten years. It's I'm sorry. It's important. It's really important. <laughs> it's important to remember. Uh, <laughs> to but, get her <laughs> because we're all in there to get her to get her we're in this. yeah it's just really tragic um but yeah we're 10 years away from that at this point from what they lived through and but we're not because we're still <laughs> we got mr fucking bojangles in the office now and he's basically an extension of the obama administration all over again and we as, as soon as he hit, took the throne we're right back in the middle east doing the same shit Yep, the same shit. It's exactly uh, it's exactly what I was thinking of when I was um, when I just read that read that news. We bombed yeah. Syria. It's back to your regular scheduled programming, boys and girls. America, we're back, baby. Come- USA, USA, <laughs> number one. <laughs> um, all right. 
I don't want to. I don't want to play the jingle again, but I will. But uh, what was the next one? It was okay. Uh, the next one, following with that uh, teachers' union ruining clip, it we'll all. Do, we'll do teachers' unions ruining it all. There's a messed up set of incentives that's baked into the K through 12 public school system, where they get your money regardless of whether they open their doors for business. So teachers unions had an incentive to keep their doors closed. Corey DeAngelis, the Reason Foundation's director of school choice, has been tracking the impact of the pandemic on education policy. He's found that a growing number of parents are leaving traditional public schools and looking to take their education dollars with them. At the same time, there's growing frustration with teachers' unions for their continued opposition to reopening, despite mounting evidence that schools aren't a significant source of infections. Why was it okay for the private schools to reopen, but not the public schools? The public schools in some places were saying that we can't open for in-person instruction because it's too dangerous, but then they were reopening the same physical school buildings for in-person childcare activities. D'Angelo okay. says that uh, unions can you pause have the clip. So that's true. And that happened all over the place. It even happened here in Oregon, where the school that my kid would otherwise be going to was closed because of the fucking threat of our dirty, disgusting, shit faced, disease monger vector kids. But yet they were offering full time, everyday childcare for just the paltry sum of a thousand dollars a month. So in the same day, they're saying, we can't teach your kids. We can't be around them. We don't want to see their face. The same day they're saying that, they're saying, but we'll take $1,000 from you to watch your kids. But we can watch them, but we're not going to teach them. They'll be in the room amongst themselves with each other, peers, and we'll be there. I I got confused there for a second. You had to pay $1,000 to the school to get them to watch your kid? That was the offer. Wow. That was the offer. Of course, we didn't do that because we're... Not stupid. We pay <laughs> we pay eight hundred dollars a month for daycare. Yeah, I uh, one of these labor. <laughs> but the the, 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 the is... point is the point is that it's the same classroom within the same school. So here's a building <laughs> that is staffed with adults who, in the same day, are saying we don't want to be around your kids because we don't feel safe. They're also saying, "Oh, we'll take a thousand dollars to be around your kids because this is a because this is safe." Sounds like a sounds like a bribe. Like a it's, bribe. A fucking it's a fucking scam. Scam is what it is. What'd you do, Mike? What'd you do, Mike? What'd you do? Christ. Christ. Double Christ. Double Christ. Double double double. Double Christ, double double Christ Christ. Mike. No, keep Mike. Going. You, oh, you're hey, you're oh. just supposed to keep going. I just wanted to get a beer. Yeah, but you fucked your shit up all fucked up like. Dude, are you fucking this up? Uh just, just keep talking. We are the technically tightest <laughs> show on uh, the No Agenda stream, by the way. In case anybody was curious. Uh, I just had to unplug my headphones so I could go get another Miller Lite, not a Paps Blue Ribbon. Cause... Yeah, you guys. You, you got you to gotta get a little, a little lunch cooler full of ice. Get those beers at your right-hand side on the ready. Like me. I'm a fucking professional. I got nothing here. I just unplugged my headphones so I could hear you guys through the speaker. Oh, well, that came You fucked it up. (laughs) That's why I sound so jacked. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, hey. I just wanted wanted to say that what that guy was saying in the clip, I don't know if you can back it up a little bit, but that's that's exactly true. There were schools that were closing, 
and at the same time they were closing, they were opening for daycare. What the fuck is the difference? Either you can, that's what a school is to begin with. It's a fucking daycare. That or an, an indoctrination facility for, uh, yes, for the factory floor working setup. Yes, that's the thing. I'm just, uh, all right, I'll, uh, it's infuriating. I took it back uh, about 15 seconds. Schools okay. in some places were saying that we can't open for in-person instruction because it's too dangerous. But then they were reopening the same physical school buildings for in-person child care activities. D'Angelo says that unions have made a host of ridiculous demands as conditions for returning to work. But then they started lumping in all of these political demands in their calls to reopen schools. So, for example, one of the first teachers unions to do this was the Los Angeles Teachers Union. They wanted to defund the police. They wanted Medicare for all and all of these other political goals that didn't seem like they had a lot to do with the reopening of schools. With public schools struggling to provide quality online education, many parents attempted to transfer their kids into virtual charter schools, taking their education dollars with them. That just sounds like a uh, not a double the double negative virtual charter school. You yeah. mean you mean you mean your house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you, dude, I don't know. Do you guys have kids? Uh, I do not, but uh, my fiance yes. is uh, is in this uh, education field. Malika, you got kids? How old yeah, I've got kids? a four year old and a twenty eight year old. Oh shit, that's a pretty wide margin. <laughs> so yeah, you're like you're in the vo- you're in the in between void. Your four-year-old's too young and your 28-year-old should be probably paying you just to stay alive. But um, so, yeah. I'm really good at playing bubbles. My my daughter is seven. And so she does the distance learning, the comprehensive distance learning um, here at the house. I mean, on the days that she's with me, which is generally maybe one weekday, she's with me. And then the rest of the week, you know, she's in full-time daycare. And so this is a whole other problem that's never, ever been addressed by the school districts, the unions, or anyone else, is that there is a massive population of divorced parents who share custody and who share responsibilities of everything that comes to raising a child who both work. And so when I was working at the post office, I'm now technically unemployed. I resigned. But my ex-wife, my baby's mama, she still works fucking full time. The point is, is that we we pay it eight hundred and fifty bucks a month for I mean, childcare. That, that's rent. That's a that's another month that's, of rent somewhere. That's another month of rent that would have otherwise not had to have been spent because they would have been in schools. And yes, we're paying for that as we learned in the previous clip. Uh, but ultimately, now the bigger problem is not the fact that we're paying that money. What we're really paying for, what we both as parents agreed and understand mutually, what we're paying for is her socialization. You know, because we're not we're not overseeing or directing our seven year old to learn how to use a computer in a way to facilitate distance learning that has been relegated to the staff at the daycare who then had to restructure their entire format of their business to facilitate comprehensive distance learning for kids, which then, of course, makes them more valuable. And obviously, they're going to increase their prices to reflect that value change. Hmm. No one talks about that. That's a non-issue when it comes to reopening or closing or kids at home or anything like that. There's a lot of parents that are divorced, separated. They're sharing custody. They have to manage this between two households and in my situation right now, between two different towns. I'm an hour away from her mom and her daycare. And that's my choice. And I'd take that with it. Uh, But the, the point is, is that we're not even 
able to be present as parents to facilitate distance learning and for to try to, to be present with a seven-year-old or for that matter, a 12-year-old and manage their time on a computer for comprehensive distance learning. It's been relegated to a third party. Which is and, bad news. <laughs> which is which is bad news. And, and in our case, to be perfectly frank, um, we have a really good relationship with our daycare provider. They are their uh, Seventh Day Adventist. The daycare is in a church. They've never been into the mask thing or the COVID thing. If I could be so bold to assume, but they also have a business to run and the, and a public persona to maintain. And so they're never going to say we're anti-mask or we're anti-coronavirus. They have to go through inspection. They have to go through licensure, all these different things just to be able to operate. Oh and, yeah. Uh, I, uh, and, I, I and, got but, some, but, uh... and, and more importantly, more importantly, uh, my my daughter has been familiarized in this environment for the last fucking, I mean, she's seven. She's been going there since she was eight months old. And a lot of her peers, her seven-year-old peers, I know this sounds ridiculous talking about seven-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old kids. But these kids, they know each other and they trust each other. And that creates an environment for these young minds to be able to be at ease and to be able to receive information comfortably and to be able to grow because they're amongst it, it is a surrogate, loving, trusting nest for them. And so in our minds, it's completely worth the 850 bucks a month uh, to pay for that. We're not paying for them for daycare more, more as, as much as we're paying for them to be uh, socialized and in a loving, a trusting nest of people that we have personally scrutinized and have been spending the last five years uh, becoming more familiar with and more and more at ease with. That's a long tirade, but that's... Uh, that's all good. Actually, that sounds way more positive than where it was in my head uh, when you first brought it up. We need more of that. We need more people looking at uh, those types of decisions for their children. You know, We need that type of, of mind, thought. I mean, if I, we were... Yeah. If, if, Speaking bad. If we were broke people, and I'm not... I have no money. I mean, I'm technically on paper. I'm a fucking broke person. I'm unemployed. I have a little bit of money, and we can talk about that in a little bit later as a result of working for the post office. Uh, but it's nothing to write home about, you know? It's enough to get by. But if we were fucking, like, on welfare, you know? If we were, if we were fucking stupid people with no value and nothing valuable to offer, we wouldn't be able to afford this daycare. And then we'd be going around to the cheapest possible low-hanging fruit daycare or whatever option is there. And that's where the problems come in for our kids because they're not in school, which is a problem in itself. But that's not the point. The point is, is that if you have the means uh, to pay for safe child care in lieu of going to in-person school, hopefully you have money to pay for it because the, the places that – you, you're going to get if you don't have money, there's there's problems there. You know, you're going to have people that don't know, don't care, or they're there because they're volunteers because they love being around little kids. Well, that's I'm always suspect of that. Yeah, uh, definitely sounds like that's got some sort of uh, loaded agenda behind it, whether it be a, um, you know, I, I just want to indoctrinate kids as fast as I can to create a little army of wokists or something just, more, more just perverse. want to be around them because you're a fucking pedo fetishizing piece of shit monster animal who just loves being around 
tiny kids. Don't eat me, Biden. You're scary. So scary. <laughs> you know? I mean, dude, there's I got a whole pile. I have a whole pile of articles of things I've been collecting over the years <clears throat> of daycares and, and, uh, and child care workers and Ugh. that are doing fucked up things. <clears throat> kids. But anyway, that's that's going off going off subject. Well, uh, we got a uh, couple more minutes of this teachers unions ruining it all. So we want to get back to it. Yeah, how about it? Maybe just uh, maybe it's just start over from the beginning because it's it's a it's a good clip, and I just derailed everything. <laughs> All right, there's a messed up set of incentives that's baked into the K through 12 public school system, where they get your money regardless of whether they open their doors for business. So teachers unions had an incentive to keep their doors closed. Corey DeAngelis, the Reason Foundation's director of school choice, has been tracking the impact of the pandemic on education policy. He's found that a growing number of parents are leaving traditional public schools and looking to take their education dollars with them. At the same time, there's growing frustration with teachers unions for their continued opposition to reopening, despite mounting evidence that schools aren't a significant source of infections. Why was it okay for the private schools to reopen, but not the public schools? The public schools in some places were saying that we can't open for in-person instruction because it's too dangerous, but then they were reopening the same physical school buildings for in-person childcare activities. DeAngelis says that unions have made a host of ridiculous demands as conditions for returning to work. But then they started lumping in all these political demands in their calls to reopen schools. So, for example, one of the first teachers unions to do this was the Los Angeles Teachers Union. They wanted to defund the police. They wanted Medicare for all and all these other political goals that didn't seem like they had a lot to do with the reopening of schools. Roving bands of teachers guarding uh, neighborhoods and communities. <laughs> that's the wall that's the wall of moms <laughs> god sorry remember I that just, shit i try not to i really you have try. to never forget the wall of moms <sighs> think about it dude the wall of moms that's that's what we're that's what these guys are talking about and we were when i'm when i'm thinking about people finally getting fed up with the school board and the unions and the teachers unions being like no we're, we don't feel safe and i think about the moms are finally going to get fed up. I, I remember which moms I'm thinking of. And it's the wall of moms. It's the same moms that were out there with Antifa and BLM in Portland. It's those moms. But yeah. those moms are too fucking stupid. Exactly. To know what the fuck is good for exactly. their children. They are, that may be the case, Malachi, but they got money and they're going to vote. And they're gonna push it, no and they're, shit, they they got they got the machine on their side, dude. But they're good, yeah. They've got the machine, but that's why they're not gonna change anything. They're just gonna waste their money. They would never. The yeah, why shit. would they change anything? <laughs> they don't feel safe. All right, it's, we'll, a, uh, it's, it's insane. We'll uh, we'll get back to this clip. With public schools struggling to provide quality online education, many parents attempted to transfer their kids into virtual charter schools, taking their education dollars with them. DeAngelis says teachers unions turned to lawmakers to stop the outflow. The Oregon Education Association lobbied to the government to make it illegal for families to switch to schools in this time of need. And you saw similar actions in places like California and Pennsylvania 
where the money wouldn't follow the child to the charter school. This was an act that protected the monopoly at the expense of thousands of families. As a result of slow and incompetent rollouts of distance learning, students around the country are failing at much higher rates. So for example, in my area, Fairfax County Public Schools, the rate of students who have been failing two or more classes has increased by 83% since last year. There's been a nationwide study on this by McKenzie and company, and they've estimated that students have lost between one and three months of education this year. And they've seen uh, that there have been inequities as well for uh, disadvantaged groups of students. They've lost more months of learning than more advantaged groups of students. The silver lining is that there's growing recognition that traditional education funding is deeply flawed and that money needs to follow the child. The latest national survey from Gallup estimates that traditional public schools will lose about seven percentage points of their student population this school year. More and more people are starting to realize these closed buildings are continuing to get their children's education dollars while they're scrambling and none of that money is following them to pay for private school tuition and fees out of pocket or to help cover the costs associated with uh, home-based education. 86% of families now support the concept of education savings accounts, or what I like to call funding students as opposed to systems. I've been tracking about 14 states now this year in January that have had legislators introduce bills to fund students as opposed to systems. So states like New Hampshire, Utah has a particular bill that's interesting, Kansas and Kentucky, uh, Arizona has a bill to expand their... That's interesting. He, just, he, so, just, he drones on about So that. they're talking about trying to create a, a fund essentially for the kid to operate out of? Is, yeah. Am I mistaken? Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's... That ain't going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, realistically, I, what I know about the teachers' unions, I've picked up from No Agenda. So I, I'm not, um, I guess, as versed as to exactly what's been happening. But that's... Uh, that's I, I guess it is kind of a that is huh. Well, if you want to get into some of um, the the pro act clips, what I've found in my study of this over just the last week since you brought this to my attention was that every single politician that's in opposition to pro act seems to be by default Republican, and of course it's converse the other way. So everything, everyone that's in supportive of the pro act is. Deeply, deeply left and Democrat. So, and it seems like it's all coming to a head in the Senate because it's already passed the House and it's going to, it very well may not go anywhere in the Senate. But it just seems like if there were to be a fund, you know, for just the kids to get representation, to get money to allow maybe charter schools or maybe to have some sort of, um, some sort of funding for uh, what I think is interesting is like homeschool pod networks. But again, you're dealing with the wall of moms, all these fucking people, at least in my area. And I, I live in an area that is very, very deeply left. It's deep blue. I live in Oregon. Now I live in a very rural part of Oregon. That seems to me it smells more red. It smells more conservative. <laughs> it's on, it's on the I'm, air. Yeah, I'm still not convinced. Uh, that it's that it's red and I don't care if it's red or blue. I don't give a fuck. I just want to be left alone. I moved to a place that's has a little bit more distance between neighbors, you know. Um I just I'm, what I'm saying is with this pro act thing which is has nothing to do with has nothing to do with this kids having funds. The pro act doesn't care. The pro act is all about forcing people into unions. 
pushing independent contracting and eliminating the right to work so that everyone has to join a union. Of course, it's disguised as the choice, but it's not a choice. Uh, there, there's 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 no room for kids to have a special slush fund for their own education, uh, and if there and if it were, it'd only be at the behest of a Republican sided thing, which would make it partisan, and uh, and would get just another way on. to siphon money, steal money, well, and of to course. control you think it yeah, the you think labor. It wouldn't get completely corrupted and and stolen is bullshit. All of these things. That's why it's. It's just, the, it's, it's sad. The mafia in the 80s, you know, in New York, learned that, it's before the 80s probably, but learned that if you control the labor, you control politics, you control everything. Because they, and they got the uh, certain groups to, or, or the, they would control all of the companies. So, you know, they'd have the four, three or four bids for concrete work, so to speak. Um, and they would all <laughs> price it way high. Yeah. And not allow anybody else to bid on it. So they already know they're going to make an extra $2 million off the top yeah. of that. And then take that as their cut. And, and then, you know, and go on strike if they don't like it. You know, if you don't like it, well, we're going to stop. You control the workers. It's a, It was corrupt then. It's not like all of a sudden it got good. It's like, okay, yeah, these people went to jail. But some of the politicians that didn't go to jail teamed up with some new mobsters i'll just call them that are running the unions now they're politicians lean a little more commie they're politicians and when you can do all this stuff and you you this is the whole interesting thing about the pro act is it turns what would otherwise be um pretend you know private companies and private corporations uh, what what if I want to be an employee? I'm sorry to interrupt you. What if I want to be an employee and not a worker? Well, if you're a worker, you are an employee. But yeah. you could also be an employer employee if you were an independent contractor. You would be your own employee. You would be your <laughs> yeah. boss and your employee. You're a single person with a valuable commodity to offer that you've gone through all the hoops to license. You have a CCB number. You have an LLC You've done everything. You pay your fucking taxes. You do all the shit, and you're one guy. Isn't Say it you, funny though? You that know? Would, yeah. Uh, continue, please. Sorry. No, that that's that, but that's the thing is like this. The pro act would make it very hard for you to be employable, to be hired out, to be contracted out by a company because at some point you're either going to have to be an employee of them or an independent contractor. But as an independent contractor, you wouldn't have the ability. Uh, possibly you wouldn't have the ability to get that job because this this company now is only going to be working with unionized, organized labor. I uh, I actually I do think I have a clip that relates to this from Grumpy Old Ben's. Uh, they're talking on a a law that was passed in California, but it's kind of the the same framework essentially with the ABC test uh, with independent contractors now getting uh they they have to be labeled as full-time well not full-time employees but they have to go through all the rigmarole of getting these guys benefits and overtime and all this shit uh do y'all want to hear it real quick yeah for sure can i let me just uh let me just chime in on this last one little thing here and then play it but uh I, I think that this is really a state's rights issue. And I think it's so Not funny. That when, uh, right. Uh, but this bill is constitutionally uh, a state's rights issue. And I think it's funny that like when Trump was in office, uh, oh, you know, he wanted to send get National Guard into Portland to help 
stop the nightly violence or something, anything like that, anything Trump did, it was a state's rights thing. States have the right to do this. But now states don't have the right to control their own labor laws, which is, uh, to me, seems clear that states should have the right to control their own labor laws because the the union itself is comprised of many different economic areas, you know, different, you know, that's why I'm laying like a $15 an hour minimum wage across the board would they should havoc among air, certain areas like Mississippi or something. Nah, dude, give me that $28 an hour. I need yeah. it. <laughs> anyway, that's all. I just wanted to, I, I, that was just something that came up and I just wanted to put that in. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to print all the money that we need. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I, I do realize I might have uh, <laughs> overshot my clips for tonight. Um, but I, I got a I got a lot of stuff that has to deal with uh, the AFL CIO, uh, which is the Union League out of New York. Um, I mean, I got the fucking president of Local One of IAA. He was on a podcast, if you can believe it or not. <laughs> Everybody's taking a podcast, uh, to, uh, getting a podcast slot these days. Did IATSE get anything out of the bailout? Do you know? Uh, actually, I do have uh, an article from the IA Cares. Um, American Rescue Plan Act, as amended by the Senate, Senate passed both by chambers of Congress and signed into law by Biden, features IATSE's most urgent priorities for subsequent COVID-19 relief, uh, extends to 300 federal weekly unemployment, um, makes the first $10,200 of unemployment benefits non-taxable income for 2021, provides a 100% subsidy of COBRA premiums through the end of September so that members who have not yet returned to work can remain on multi-employer health plans, uh, makes 501 labor unions eligible for paycheck, uh, paycheck protection programs, forgivable loans, so that local unions can continue to provide important support and assistance to their members despite significant COVID-19-related declines in revenues, uh, allows pension plans to freeze zone status and smooth losses. That sounds kind of weird. Protecting our healthy plans delivers long-needed support to troubled pension plans, and the Pension Benefit uh, Guarantee Corporation without jeopardizing healthy plans. Um, pays out the 1400 appropriates $135 million in the metal, uh, emergency supplemental funding for both the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Endowment for the Humanities, $175 million for the corporation, for public broadcasting, and an additional $1.25 billion for the Shuttered Venue Operations Grant Program. Save our stages. Uh, save our stages. Mm-hmm. Hey, if they did all of that, not, I mean, not not all of that is for the actual union worker, but there was quite a bit they did for the union worker, from COBRA to a non-taxable in, uh, income, unemployment income, and other stuff. Why, if they did that, if the Congress did that for union workers, why don't they offer that same benefit to non-union workers? Oh, that sounds like discrimination. Racist. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Get me every time. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's. It's see. not important. It's racist. <laughs> let's see. This is the uh, Grumpy Old Ben's California gig workers. So on the topic of laws, um, I also did a deep dive uh, because it popped up in uh, California Assembly Bill 
five. Uh, this is actually, have, have you, are you familiar with this at all? No, but it's, it's a number five, so it must be good. Well, it was, it was num- assembly bill five of 2019. I'm not sure exactly how the numbering works, but um, this was passed in 2019 and it took effect on January 1st of this year. Uh, I actually had, uh, it came across, a story came across my radar back in March, but it was one of many, many things that ended up going in my notes because I could talk about it and then not coming out of the notes because we always go long on this show. Uh, But Assembly Bill 5 uh, is the California law that regards gig work. It regards uh, any kind of contract employee. Uh, what it requires is that uh, the vast majority of, and, and there's uh, some specific tests, but the vast majority of contract workers be classified as employees, uh, which means, among other things, that you have to pay full payroll taxes, you have to pay unemployment taxes, you need to fill out a metric crap load of paperwork, a, a, the, the same paperwork as if you're doing a full new hire just to, to contract somebody for a job. Um, the story that popped up in March, uh, which I'll definitely put this link in the show notes because it is an amazing read. Uh, it was talking about killing the music business, the, the gig music. Um, if you had a couple musicians who had songs and they wanted to put together a show at a local bar or something, um, the way it used to work is, you know, if, if you did your, all your own stuff, but you ended up, you know, the way a lot of music is done is it, you'll record each track separately and throw them all together in, in audition or something uh, in order to create the whole thing. Well, you can't do that live because you can't play multiple instruments live. You can't drum and play the guitar at the same time. So what you do is you'll go out and say, hire a drummer. And uh, so this, this is a quote from the article said before the law passed, if I played a gig where I'd hire a drummer, bassist and guitar player, I'd just cut each a check for 200 bucks. Now I have to take that drummer, put him on payroll, W2 him, get a worker's comp insurance, unemployment insurance. I have to pay payroll taxes. I also now have to hire a payroll company all to hire a musician for just one night. The paperwork alone costs more than the music. And um, the result is that uh, there, I mean, honestly, the result now is the clubs are fucking closed, so it doesn't matter. But going up to this, uh, it, it has become impossible to hire somebody for a one-off gig because the paperwork required by the state of California is so incredibly high. And it has killed a, a number of of businesses, including, you know, in this case, that there was a deep dive in music. Uh, the, the one other thing from that article that I really liked was uh, there were uh, in in passing the law, there was a letter in support of the law that was signed by 75 law professors, political scientists and sociologists uh, to and uh, reason contacted all 75 of the signatories to that to interview them and ask what they thought about the law that they supported now that it is dem- demonstrably killing jobs. And zero of the 75 agreed to that interview. Hey, oh, oh, Sir Bemrose of the Grumpy Old Ben's podcast. Check it out Mondays on the No Agenda stream, 11 Central. Yeah, that sounds right. Or just, yeah, just get their app and subscribe to their RSS feed. Yeah, wherever check, you find your podcast. Check out uh, check out their OnlyFans page. I think it's uh, OnlyFans.com slash Grumpy Old Benz. It's a good one. It's a good one. They change the, the album art every day. Oh, that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I called in to Grumpy Old Benz. Uh, Earlier today, I wanted to get a quote from them on unions uh, that uh, Sir Bemrose and Darren O were gracious enough to uh, to to give. I, not all unions are awful, and they were definitely created with the idea with a good idea, which is 
that you know the the people with wealth who owned the factory had way too much power to screw up the lives of a lot of people uh but somewhere along the line uh when government got involved and gave unions all kinds of extra powers that they never had back in the 1800s when they they were relevant um now unions are incredibly powerful lobbying organizations that can seriously fuck up the economy when a bunch of people get together and harness the power of weaponized laziness Brilliant. Yeah, and the okay. unions in Illinois are sucking the state. What's that? I was going to say that's. I didn't know you had a Darren O one as well. Um, if you want to follow that up with a couple clips, public monster and public sector. After that, yeah. Uh, actually, I, I stopped it in the middle, and the way this player works, it doesn't like that. Uh-oh. I have to refire it. Uh, maybe I can do this. I. Not all unions are awful, and they and the unions in Illinois are sucking the state dry with the pensions, well, and, and nobody wants to even. Anybody talk who about wants it. to unionize government workers needs to go jump off a lake, <laughs> or into a lake, or off off a high building, or an, I, 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 I'm, I'm not confused. sure how, where I was going with that. Uh, well, if, off the okay. edge of the earth. Yeah, that's right, what right. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. All right, jump off the edge of the table. Jump off the edge of the flat. What's that? Okay, so that that brings us right to. Um, Public monster clip. Uh, if you want to follow that with public sector. Oh, sorry. At a time when the private sector has lost around 5 million jobs and those still employed are accepting frozen salaries, canceled bonuses, and longer work days, jobs in the public sector are booming. Public sector unions have used their considerable political power to redirect taxpayers' money to preserve not only their jobs, but their generous salaries and benefits as well, all while providing poorer quality public services to the American people. With the gap between pay and performance widening, unnecessarily costing American taxpayers billions of their hard-earned dollars, reining in spending on public employees is crucial to America's financial future. Many relatively simple reforms, like the elimination of fixed payouts for public sector pensions, could help control these costs. So why don't these reforms happen? The public sector unions stand in the way of changing the system. A study by the Employee Benefit Research Institute estimated that the average public sector worker earned 46% more in salary and benefits than private sector employees performing comparable work. The official unemployment rate has hovered around 10% for the last two years, and private sector job growth is virtually non-existent. But public sector employment has grown. The jobless rate for government workers is under 3%, and their salaries continue to rise. When the movement among public sector workers to unionize began gathering momentum in the 1950s, some critics observed that government is a monopoly, not subject to the discipline of the marketplace and allowing them to unionize would eventually give them the power to hold politicians and taxpayers hostage. Since then, public sector unions have successfully shut down schools, police and fire departments, and other essential services, including entire transit systems, by going on strike to prevent virtually any reforms that would rein in spending. There are often no legal alternatives to public services, so many states have outlawed such strikes. But that has only pushed unions to organize political action committees, hire lobbyists, and use their considerable muscle to elect sympathetic public officials. Savvy public unions are now moving to crush the recent rise of anti-tax movements around the country. 
and they've been successful. In spite of high unemployment rates and huge budget deficits, states like California and New York have already raised taxes to cover their promises to unions instead of making efforts to cut spending and live within their means. In the private sector, an employer forced to pay too much for labor will eventually go out of business. But in the public sector, more union members just means more voters, more dollars for political campaigns and higher taxes to fund expanding wage and benefit payments to workers who are impossible to fire. Public sector unions have spent several decades successfully demanding unsustainable salaries and endless benefits at the expense of struggling taxpayers. It's time for Americans to fight back while we still have the chance to secure our financial future. Wow. <laughs> I actually got something about a COVID tax I'd like to play at some point later tonight. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? So much heavy on the fucking MK, on the MK music. <laughs> but it really, it drives it home, you know? It, it does. It really works. I'm going to need to pull my Bible out tonight after all this. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you in the chat. You should sage, sage it up. Uh, you said the second one was uh, public sector kills? Yes. Public sector kills, uh, kills money. We're twisting arms. We're threatening people. We're busting kneecaps. God. As unemployment hovers around 10% and any sort of recovery seems to be forever and a day away, think about this. The one part of the economy that's going gangbusters during the Great Recession is government work. According to recovery.gov, most of the 595,000 jobs that have been created or saved by the stimulus package have been in the public sector, with over two-thirds going to education. But far from stimulating us into any Over sort of recovery, thirds. public sector employees are killing the economy for at least three reasons. Federal workers make about $8,000 more in straight salary than their counterparts in the private sector. And they make about $30,000 more in health, pension, and other fringe benefits. State and local workers make comparable wages to private sector counterparts, but they make significantly more when benefits are factored in. The private sector has cut over 8 million jobs since the recession started in December 2007. Over the same period, the public sector saw a net gain of at least 100,000 jobs. The private sector adjusted changes in consumer demand by hiring and firing more people. The public sector just adds and adds workers because it's not subject to the same sort of bottom line pressures. Take a look at California, where the teachers' union has spent more than $211 million over the past decade on elections. We're twisting arms. We're threatening people. That's more than twice as We're much as the next which was another union. As a result, 40% of government spending in California must by law go to education. And in the past 10 years, taxpayer contributions to the state pension system have increased by 2,000%. And Jesus. that sort of explosive growth is just getting started. For the first time ever, a majority of union members are now in the public sector. 
That means they'll be lobbying state houses and legislators even more for the sorts of big mandatory raises and absolute job security that workers in the private sector can only dream of. Because the public sector gets its money from taxpayers, everything it gains means less money for the rest of us to invest, to yeah, pay workers, keep that or to save. Mind. And with the federal government in most states already deeply in the red, it's time to cut public sector payrolls and return more revenue to the private sector. That will generate more economic growth, which will help end the recession sooner than paying higher taxes for these government salaries. Yeah, keep that in your mind. So the majority of union labor right now is in the public sector, uh, which is fine. Totally. Yeah, bring it. Just pile it on. But <laughs> also keep that in mind when we have this this new stimulus bill and this relief package and the union bailout. That uh, if if you want to play the NA jingle or the not the NA jingle but the the no agenda clip we discussed earlier, um, that kind of brings it around to a head when you think about the Pro Act and what the Pro Act does the the shielding of all of these uh, smaller companies then to allow union formation, which could be great for some really shithead employers. Yeah. who are horrible people who treat their people like shit. Yeah, that could be great because then you could crush them. But if you have a decent workplace, if you have a place that works all right, but then you have a bunch of SJWs or wall of mom types uh, that want to completely take over. And that's what it is. It's not, it's not a takedown. It's a takeover. Well, see, yeah. uh, you take away a lot of rights of the uh, entrepreneur when you do this, you know? That's the idea, dude. I yeah, know, it's, dude. I, I'm definitely starting to lean more towards it. So a lot of this might be deliberate to, to cripple that class. Yeah, you, know, you don't want people producing. You don't need people to be successful. You know? No, you need them working Which... and scrambling and stretching dimes. Stretching yeah. dollars and squeezing dimes and scrambling and working, 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 working. I Piling guess... on more and more laborers. I guess I should have looked in to see more what happened with unions back in the 90s under Clinton and uh, NAFTA getting passed. That was something I kind of spaced on. Well, that, I mean, I have a the a G union bargaining. That clip is from 2011. And I think I have an I don't I didn't take any of the other dates down. But I think that the one we just listened to was from about 10 years ago. As yeah, well. it's talking on the recession. Let's mm-hmm. uh let's do this no no agenda one because I thought that was yeah. a pretty good segment. Yeah, NA pensions. This is just Finan- yesterday's show. Nice. Bring that down just a scooch. Financial Times, AstraZeneca, which has promised not to profit from its COVID nineteen vaccine during ah! wait during the pandemic has the right to declare an end to the pandemic as soon as July 2021, according to an agreement with a manufacturer. So there's something up with July 1st, and then Joe says, oh, July 4th, you'll be with your loved ones. But I think there's something else going on because the schools, oh, we got to get the schools back. Well, it's time because something I missed in the stimulus bill, it, it, it was reported on, it was in the New York Times, is an unbelievable bailout for the pension funds. And I'm not talking government pension funds. I'm not the biggest pension funds, which I think includes teachers. I read yep. from the the language. So there's $86 billion in there right away for pension funds to shore them up. And then <clears throat> there's uh, an eligible plan will receive a one-time special financial assistance payment from the PBGC. That's the outfit that I think uh, guarantees the uh, the pension funds. It's a government uh, organization. Uh, within one year after its application is approved, equal to the amount necessary to ensure the plan can pay all benefits due, 
uh, other than any adjustable benefits that were eliminated before the application. This will last through the last day of its plan year ending in 2051. So the PBGC has guaranteed, given, not loan, given the guarantee, they will fund the pensions, all the big pension, mixed company pension plans until 2051. This $1.9 trillion is a joke compared to that. So they got what they wanted. They got their guy in. Uh, that was all the whole union push. Joe signed it. Joe can go die. They don't care now. His signature's on it. It's good to go. And now everyone is saying, okay, you got what you wanted. Now let's get back to school. Has you even heard ding, about ding, this ding. bailout? Ding, yeah. ding, ding. No, but I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg of the weird stuff that's in that bill. How many pages? Um, now, that was something that was a, that was a big uh, controversy with the, the PO union, right? With the, they, had, they had made themselves broke by trying to pay out pensions decades in advance. Uh, yeah, not exactly pensions. I was misunderstood for a long time. I thought that was the score, but it's just the health benefits, okay. which are equal if not greater than the pensions because they're paying out health benefit um, insurance policies uh, not only on existing uh, postal workers, but also unhired people in the future, like like uh, futures. They're taking out futures, so they're 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 paying out health benefit policies for current working postal workers and also postal workers that don't that don't even exist yet. Seventy five years into the future, I mean. So it's a it's a big broad uh, deficit. It's it's a huge budget, and then everything that the that the that the post office budgets against, they go against that, and so that's why they're I think uh, I mean they're about a bill. <laughs> I don't even know how much, but like hundreds of million dollars, if not a million, if not a billion dollars in debt, and they can never get over because. And of course, this is a this is a, a Republican thing that happened in I think in uh, two thousand and six. But it's it's called a pre-funding mandate, and that basically kneecaps the post office so that they'll never be made whole again because they have to perpetually pay out these benefits. And yes, they're health benefits; they're not pensions, but they're basically the same thing. Gotcha. And I I learned a little bit about how what what really the pensions are, and you know, yes, of course, on the surface, it's your ability to earn an income after you've retired. You get a monthly stipend of everything you paid in for, and it was matched or whatever. But really, the reason why they want to pre-fund these things and why these pensions are so important, uh, what I learned from talking with Clint Richardson about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than that, I think it was about two months ago, really. But Clint Richardson helped me understand that the reason why these pensions are so important and why these pensions are so, so valuable is because that's hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that can then be leveraged out and loaned out. And then they could read, they could sell those loans at interest to other people. And then those loans can be loaned out. And it's just debt that's being sold and traded out on uh, various different markets. And that's what funds the international democratic machine. That's what really funds all of the uh, democracy that we are spreading all over the world is because it's just billions of dollars worth of futures future labor costs, future labor debt, uh, of which is, you know, ultimately pensions. But and provided that there's going to be people. Satanic black magic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And provided it's just it's all on the assumption that there'll be 
you know, a millions, hundreds of millions of people that are going to be working toward these pensions and working and, and, and uh, clocking in, clocking out every day and paying into these pensions that perpetuates the whole thing. It's, it's, it's like uh, it's like the teacher machine, the teachers unions machine, but like on the step up and and like out out of this court and a whole different level that is untouchable unseeable and unknowable because it's it's all over there it's in different countries it's in a whole different level of a, of a economic growth and transactions and it's the markets. next evolutionary form yes yeah. but the unions have a power that that like no one else has that the private personal entrepreneur doesn't have if they miss if they mismanage their business they go bankrupt. <clears throat> they have to no. sell everything. They have to find a way out. If the if the union mismanages mm. their shit, they just steal money from yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. They just yes. steal it from me. And they'll and blame. They'll blame the altar. They'll blame the other. <gasps> they'll they'll blame the uh, the antithesis of them. The private company. They'll blame capitalism. Blanket statement. Capitalism. That's why we couldn't win this time. They'll but again, like if you just if you just vote money. harder, if you spend more money, if you commit your dues, and you know we'll we'll do this, we'll do this You're this way, we'll do it, we'll do it better. Just vote harder, pray harder, God. and we'll win. We got to get the right guy in there. That's why they, uh, this fucking this is ugh, makes me there so is mad. There's no dude, right guy. Not, of course not. Dude, when I was working at the post office, and every single year they're doing the union elections, and it's just this huge list of people that are already working overburdened routes that are costing them upwards of 50 to 60 hours a week out of their waking lives to just to carry the mail and deliver this mail. But yet they're also volunteering hours of their lives every week and every day to write the union bulletin board, to go to the meetings, to organize stuff, to bring food. That's just dumb. It's just crazy. And then we want us to vote and elect who these people are going to be. And I'm looking at like, this is a fucking organization that is using voluntary labor. And it's preying, <laughs> on, the, on, preying on the hearts and minds of these people. Who I actually, laugh at iron, irony. Yeah. It, 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 it's convincing people that if they volunteer their time to this organization that needs you, to protect you from the tyranny of government. And we, as we heard in the teachers union machine clip, that's their whole job. Their whole job is to grow the union. It's not to grow the workforce, but to grow the union and, and to see, retain as many voluntary, voluntary people who are willing to do it for free. This is free labor, free labor because they can't afford to pay anybody because if they actually had, because then there would be a business and they would be, they would be capitalists and that would be enemy. It's but just see, crazy this, to me. Yeah, this is the, what it is, uh, racketeering, it's criminal, but there are, but the, the problem, the reason why it, it's already gone is because there's no uh, honest district attorneys, there's no honest, really, secretaries of states or uh, small prosecutors that could tackle these cases against the unions because they've been... Uh, elected into these positions, such as DA and others, as union members. Yes. You know? yes. And they're never going to take this to court. Yeah. And you so, when so you there's hear no about, way to fight it. And so when you hear about, this is the thing that's interesting about this, um, the union bailout of this relief package, is that here we have teachers' unions. We have all kinds of unions, but I'm specifically looking at teachers' unions because I think they are the most corrupt. 
I think they have the most power and uh, they have the most influence. You bailing these people out. And also, let's, I mean, I'm still the post office in there too. These are organizations that would not be able to, uh, to do what? They wouldn't be able to do what? The teachers unions, I guess. What do the teachers unions pay for? What do they do? They, they pay lobby. for politicians. That's it. They, the they teachers lobby. unions, teachers unions don't pay the salaries of the teachers. The postal unions don't pay the salaries of the postal carriers. The postal unions pay for politicians, hmm. for influence. And so we're bailing out these unions <laughs> who are going to give the money back to the fucking politicians back that stole to- it from us. Exactly. Ah. Uh, you know, it's just, it's insane. <laughs> and you can't even take it to court and challenge no. it no. because they won't accept it. They'll just because say it has no merit. Because it's not against the law, dude. <laughs> right, because they make the law. Because it's not against the law. God almighty. Oh, yeah. So when you know these stories are so heartwarming, and I got, I'm looking at an email right here from my, my school district that my daughter is in. And, you know, the language of this email is, it's so funny. Uh, You know, Portland Public Schools and Portland Association of Teachers, which is a union, PPS and PAT union, have reached a tentative agreement to reopen PPS schools for in-person hybrid instruction, blah, 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 blah. This email came out today. What's ironic and sad about this is I knew this information over a week ago because my daughter's school is very proud of the fact that they have done all the implementation of their safety in order to reopen for hybrid learning. It's it, I don't know if you guys understand what hybrid learning is, but hybrid learning is such a fucking joke. It it's when they uh, put create a cyborg. No, no, man. Hybrid learning is uh, your kid gets to go to school. For three hours a day, two days a week. But while they're in school, they're at least six feet apart from anyone else. And they're That's in a, a mask. Idea. And they're in they're behind a plexiglass barrier. It's and their teacher or their friend or any other human being cannot come within six feet of them for their safety. Oh, but man, that's just but 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 no, dude, boo, don't get sad. Don't get sad. They get to go to school. We're reopening. We're reopening. We're ready to reopen. (laughs) That is how it is, dude. That's what parents of young kids, and I know, Malachi, your kids, your youngest is four. In a couple years, this shit ain't going away. I mean, this is, we're setting the precedent now. This is an acceptable precedent because there is absolutely no pushback whatsoever. And even if there was, it would be David Icofied. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a rural setting and uh, <clears throat> in a pretty unique and uh, so in nice everyone, town. <laughs> everyone here is. Everyone here is very, very proud and very, very happy. I knew about this email news. I knew about the information in this email that was released that was released today. I knew about this a week ago because my kid's school produced this information already ahead. But what's interesting is that the language within the email is that the PPS, Portland Public Schools, and the PAT union have reached a tentative agreement. That is union language. That is union language. And nowhere in this information, in this paragraph of this email, and this email is only three paragraphs, four paragraphs long, absolutely nowhere in this email is there any uh, information from a medical expert. 
There is no citation from the Centers of Disease Control. There's no quotes of Bill Gates or Fauci or leading scientists or recommendations or anything. Nothing like that. Nothing. Bill Gates got his science degree from God. The, the point is, dude, is that in this email, all this email is, is information about a resolution reached between a fucking teacher's union and the Portland Public School District, who also pays their own union representatives for a tentative agreement to reopen for hybrid learning, which, again, but hybrid Donald learning Donald Trump's a racist, six, man. Six, they, yeah, that's not important. Okay? That's not important. What is important is that we don't get hooked up on these racists. No, I'm serious though. That the thing. Usually, I just take my racist straight in the arm. But I usually take my races on the track. I like to race on a track with little Hot Wheels. Yeah, Hot Wheels. Hot hot Wheel. It's not. It's not important what kind of Hot Wheel you have, as long as you're racist and you're in the races to win. Just don't win, because that would be racist. (laughs) That would be racist. Don't be uh, you know, I do, I do want to throw this out here real quick. Uh, how would you guys feel about taking a quick break here, uh, do a drink refill and, uh, and whatnot? I, I do have a intermission of uh, some short clips lined up if y'all want. I'm totally into it. I could use about 16 seconds. You guys, I'm going to have to just call. I got to go. I've got to. It's, it's, it's going to happen. I'm not going to be able to make it back. No, so you're I'm good, man. cut out. Well, uh, I, 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 I want to get great. with you. uh uh, soon here, we can talk some schedule stuff. See if maybe there's a time that that works better for you as far as when we do the show. Let's do it. Um, cool. All right, this has been great. Uh, and I've learned a lot about unions tonight. Uh, <laughs> it, I'm serious. Uh, it's it's been great. And, well, fuck yeah, man! It's been really cool talking with you, Malachi. I'm super yeah, stoked. It's good to know you. Yes, and uh, hopefully we'll do this again very soon. And uh, it's been great. But y'all I'd continue on. Uh, I'm going to listen to this, so I can't wait to hear what y'all talk about. Cool, All cool. Right? I love it, man. All Take right. Take it easy, y'all. Have a good night. Cool. Bud. Much love. See you later. Um, and uh, yeah, we got about an eight minute intermission lined up. So that's enough time to re-up on beverages for anyone that's still hanging out with us listening. Uh, We just said goodnight to Malachi, and uh, he'll be back with us next week. But in the meantime, we'll do our intermission, and we'll come back for some more union goodness. Fuck yeah. Cool, man. Eight minutes.
President. The Sandinistas called him a dictator. They called themselves freedom fighters. He called them commie terrorists. So they kicked him out, then they were in charge. Ronald Reagan called them commie oppressors, and he sent in the Contras, whom he called freedom fighters, and they called mercenary terrorists. So, basically, what you're called depends largely on who's doing the talking, because hypocrisy is the Vaseline of political intercourse. <laughs> They didn't like what they saw, so they changed it to make it sound better. Just like in these personal ads. It sounds great, but it's all lies. The dominant narrative is your sticker. The dominant narrative in America is white people are evil, white people suck, we should be ashamed of ourselves. And I don't think we, we should are... be ashamed of ourselves. I think that we should take responsibility for the system that we've created. The best system in the world? We do not have the best system Who in the world. Who has a better system? There are many European countries that have are much better off oh, than us. Oh, you mean like the European countries with a higher density of whites, like Northern Europe? <laughs> uh, that's one way to phrase it, I guess. You don't mean Turkey. No. <laughs> you don't mean Eastern Europe no. with the communists. So the only time you can come up with a system that's better than America, it's a country that's more white than America. I don't understand. Like, I, I just want to know where the data is that supports this universe of white supremacy. Is it because whites are doing well? <laughs> oh, death. Oh, death. I'm the overturn of the earth. What is that that I can't see? I see hands got a hold on me. I am death, come after your soul, gonna leave your body and me the cold. Oh, death. Oh, death. Spare me over for another year. Oh, death, oh, death, consider my age. Please don't take me in this state. I am death, come after your soul, gonna leave your body and leave it cold. Ah, oh, death, ah, oh, death, fire me over for another year. Thank you, everybody. I look at this crowd, and I see people who want leaders that are not gonna lie to them. We want health officials who don't have financial entanglements with the pharmaceutical industry, who care about our children's health and not about pharmaceutical profits or government control. Governments love pandemics. They love pandemics for the same reason they love war, because it gives them the ability to impose controls on the population that the population would otherwise never accept. 
to create institutions and mechanisms for orchestrating and imposing obedience at all of these big important people like Bill Gates have been planning and thinking about this pandemic for decades planning it so that we would all be safe when the pandemic finally came and yet now that it's here they don't seem to know what they're talking about the one thing that they're good at is pumping up fear the only thing a government needs to make people into slaves is fear and if you can figure out something to make them scared you can get them to do anything that you want the pandemic is a crisis of convenience for the elites who are dictating these policies. It gives them the ability to obliterate the middle class, to destroy the institutions of democracy, to shift all of our wealth from all of us to a handful of billionaires, to make themselves rich by impoverishing the rest of us. All of us who are here today can proudly say once again, each B9 Berliner, because you are the front line against totalitarianism. And we're telling them today, you are not going to take away our freedoms. You are not going to poison our children. We are going to demand our democracy back. Thank you all very much for fighting.
And we're back. It was a fun little break. Some good stuff. Some RFK Jr., which you can never go wrong with. RFK Jr. might be the single most MVP for 2020, in my book at least. Uh, Let's see. Oh, <clears throat> we'll have Dean join us back here in just a second. I got some good news I'm going to share with him. I don't want to blow the load too too early. And uh, I'm disappointed that I forgot to... Who the hell is Bowberry? All over Malachi. I, I had all these all these ISOs and still haven't played them all for him. Oh, well, maybe next time. Uh, I myself have grabbed a nice cold glass of Tito's and Ver- Verner's ginger ale, which I'm excited about. Delicious combination. Yes. Uh, are you familiar with the Verner's? I am. I love Verner's. It's like probably one of the spiciest ginger ales. Yeah, it's got this real like uh, it's almost like cream soda sort of texture to it. Yeah. It's a very smooth beverage. Yeah, when I was coming out of the um, the weird rehab experience that I went through, I was convinced that I was an alcoholic, but it turns out I was just a drug addict. <laughs> Boring. Um, I was training myself to live a life without the luxury of or enjoyment of a, an alcoholic beverage, and I had transitioned from cold beers to cold ginger ales. It just wasn't the same. Thank yeah. God I'm not a drunk. I've uh, I, there's been periods in my life where I've I've had to do a hard substitute for uh, alcohol in general. Um, switch it over to ginger ale. Um, I do have some good news to share with everybody. Uh, it's a great alternative, honestly. Ginger ales, if if if, if you like crispy, you know, bitter especially like going beverages. out to a bar or something. Yeah, you know, you don't you don't you don't have to be quote unquote that guy with the water. Um, which I don't see any problem with. Like, <laughs> it's actually kind of annoying when people start pressuring you and you're like, ah, you know, I, I'm good. I'm trying to dry out a little bit. You're not making this any easier. Yeah. Stay home. <laughs> uh, what do we have coming in here? Oh, uh, so, sir, seat sitter of the show Abs in a Podcast, uh, we have some breaking news. Abs in a six pack. Abs in a six pack. That was a really, really, really shameful burp. Uh, he has some news that uh, he would like us to share for everybody tonight. He found out, him and his keeper, uh, that the child that they're uh, having together is a boy. Yes. Uh, and he would like to tell everyone that he is going to be shooting guns and eating pussy before his birth, uh, first birthday. That's so cool, man. Honestly, I've known about that little secret for a while. I didn't know uh, that the little one was going to be a boy. I'm so very happy for you, Chris. Much love, Sir Seat Sitter. Congratulations. I'm so excited you're going to have a little man. Little man. Yeah, get so that, cool, uh, man. Get that Fisher Price, my first red pill going for him. That's so cool, dude. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make any difference if it's a boy or a girl. I have a wonderful, beautiful, shining, celestial star of a daughter. And uh, it's changed my life in so many ways. I can't even, I'm not even going to bore you with the details, but it is just being a parent, having a child changes your life. It is the most amazing thing in the world. And every single day, I wish I wasn't a dad. (laughs) (laughs) Every single day, every single day, at some point of the day, I wish I wasn't a dad. Uh, But then, uh, but then I come back to reality and I realize that I am, and I'm so eternally grateful for the for the gift of being a dad. It is fantastic. So get ready, Chris. It is transformative, man. Transformative. And I hope that you and your partner 
and anyone out there who has a child, uh, especially those of you who are expecting, I hope that you guys have a super solid foundation of love and trust and understanding and forgiveness and communication because uh, your lives are going to change in ways that you won't expect. And there'll be little things that if you don't have those things resolved internally, they will emerge. And if you don't have good communication, it could be a problem. And uh, that's all. I, uh, I I personally don't have any any children, which I've uh, stated. Pussy. Uh, not none that I, I don't know of, at least I guess. Uh, but um, you know, I I really feel that children are sort of the way forward. You know, there's there's a complete, total, as above, so below nature to it. That yes, this machine wants the the kids, and you know, all of that that um, you know, QAnon shit aside this machine requires the brains and the minds of these kids to perpetuate itself to to create little minions that will carry forth the fucking you know oh my god dude there's a whole larger esoteric parameter there's a whole esoteric game and uh, a game isn't the word but there's a weight and volume and heaviness behind that fact that goes behind everything that we do here. If you want to go down to the fake straw man story stuff or the, uh, uh, you know, treasury bonds, I cover a little bit of it in my podcast and some previous episodes about the alchem, alchemics, alchemy, the alchemic alchemy of economics. Oh yeah, that that I could fuck with easy. <laughs> Those are that's some heavy stuff. There's a few different researchers I've been following for a long time. That no, most notably is the late great Tracy Twyman. She covers it quite in depth. Gotcha. But yeah, there's there's a whole other esoteric level to that that is really just behind the scenes. And uh, I mean, if this whole thing really is a a plot to enslave humanity. The way you do that is through children and through generational indoctrination and programming and things like that. But yeah. that's another show for another topic. <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of – it fits still though because uh, where we are with Behind the Schemes currently is, is sort of swimming around in this super dark and, and disturbing and just really soul-sucking portion of uh, humanity's history where it is the, the scientists – uh, conglomerating and combining their their understandings of the world, and they're using their influence through these uh, royal courts or you know um, uh, new colleges in the, the the newly formed United States. They're they're taking this uh, their ideology and, and indoctrinating it and, and planting little seeds, and you know the it's. Take COVID, for example, the same group that the WHO is, is the same group that was at universities like Stanford and and all across the globe because I'm kind of (laughs) losing, losing the point, but regardless. You're talking about social engineering, essentially, but. Yeah, less is social Darwinism the correct term? Uh, I guess, yeah, you could say that for sure, but it goes without saying that it's not all nefarious 100 percent. there are numerous social engineers that are if you want to say on our side but there are numerous social engineers that are 
awakened to the real human spirit that are in tune and aligned with liberty and freedom of choice and personal sovereignty. Like one of the most influential, I think, is Hotep Jesus. Oh, yeah. He's got some pretty good stuff. I'm not super familiar with him, but I've definitely seen. uh... He's just one of of tons. I think another one, honestly, would be, (laughs) forgive me, but I think Alex Jones, David Icke. Oh, yeah. Wow. All of these people are they're, they're content creators. And with that content, they're reshaping and reforming reality in their own way. And it's an open system. Uh, it's it's uh, it's an open system. It's not it's not a closed system. Realistically, Hotel Jesus it, is one of these people. These are social engineers. And so there are a lot of altruistic social engineers that are on our side, to put it in quotes, uh, who are working and as a counter to the the Gates and the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and all these other fuckers. Yeah. They have a lot more experience, those people, but there's a whole new generation coming up. And when we have kids and we know that our kids are not going to be fucking stupid, you know, a certain C-sitter's kid is going to be groomed up and grown in an environment that's going to be one of uh, altruistic personal self-sovereignty and consciousness and open-mindedness and choice. And that's incredibly powerful. Yep. World's going to need more people like that, methinks. Hell yeah. Well, uh, I just want to touch heads here real quick, uh, see what you're feeling about um, your clips. I do, I, I have way too many, realistically, for tonight. Um, I know. But I, just I, to, I, 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 I think I sent you like 20. <laughs> um, I, most of the stuff that I found comes from um, union presidents, uh, mostly out of New York. There's a podcast, Union Strong. Um, that's just. It's like to- total fucking ham on the bone. Like, oh, you gotta, you gotta join us. This is the, this is the hippest shit. <laughs> yeah, play uh, it up, dude. Let's just, I mean, because this is the, this is what we're talking about here. What we want to present is, I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely anti-union. I just know that from my experience in the last two years, three years working for the post office, I realized that I was outside of the flock. You well, know, I was outside of it, and the things I talked about, the issues I brought up on the stand-up meetings were met with disdain amongst my peers, and at the same time, I was getting uh, pressured from within to, why don't you write something? Why don't you write some of this stuff, and you know, we'll publish it in the, in the weekly, you know, not the weekly, but the monthly rag, and I knew that there's no way that they would ever publish it, and so I never bothered, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe they would have, but it was beneath me to try to like stand out. And what I saw over the last few months, especially over the summer where there were carriers in my office and in my, in my union click, the branch, as it were, uh, they were writing things and they're getting published and it was all defund the police, no lives matter, but black lives matter. And they fell right into the soup. And I know that this going to get published because this is an organization that wants to attract and, and uh, touch on the hearts and minds of working people who are ultimately in their hearts altruistic. And that's the most insidious part about it is that it, it, it capitalizes on your fear of your, your idea, the mythology of scarcity that without this, then you can't have that. You know, if it wasn't for the union, uh, you would be subject to the tyranny of the U.S. government. Then this is the whole thing is that the line was that without us, you'd be forced to be working 12 or 14 hour days and all this kind of stuff. And as it turns out, over the last year, even with the unions, 
every one of us were working 12 to 14 hour days. Oh yeah. I mean, being on and the, and, and the message from our unions was, but you're a hero <laughs> frontline worker. You're a hero and you should. And, and then the, the deeper message behind that, there are three messages. First one was you're a hero. Shut up. Second one was you're lucky you have a job, which has its own connotation that you're too stupid to do anything else. You fucking slave. So shut up. And the third message was you are not allowed to talk about the post office in any way at all. You signed on to that when you agreed to take this job that you would. And this is true. This is in the M41 handbook for the USPS that you agree to not talk at all in any way disparaging whatsoever with whomever at any time ever on or off the clock in any disparaging way about the post office. And if you do that, you can be fired summarily and the union will not only not protect your job, but they will help to eliminate you from the workforce. So shut up and stay busy. That was the message. extremely dangerous to our democracy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's uh, that's something that I've been really uh, just torn over this past year is if this show was to spread around in any meaningful capacity. I mean, there's a lot of mind crime that gets shared here. There's a lot of things that's like this is this is just an expression of what I'm witnessing. And uh, this is the hot take. But I I do have real concerns about getting blackballed because we took the time to learn how to record and, and produce the show and, and, and find the clips and I, you can learn it again. Well, it's just a matter of like, it, it, do I, tr do I brace myself for inevitable, inevitably being forced out of the, uh, out of the workplace because it's going to go to, I, I I'm, they haven't tried to do it yet, but I'm waiting for them to try and mandate, uh, the vaccine, for example. So uh, do you do you do you work with a union? Do you pay union dues? I do. Uh, so, but it's most, a private union. It's not a public union like the post office. Because my my beef is with public unions. I, I one of my best friends podcast. He has a podcast called Deborah Gets Red Pill. Check it out. Deborah Gets Red Pill. He's great. His name is Adam. He has a really cool thing going on. He's a union construction worker. He builds. Uh, um, he builds and maintains elevators. He's an elevator construction worker. He works for a union. And at this point, he's not, you know, he's not mandated to wear a mask on the job site. He doesn't work for huge, huge job sites anymore. He usually gens generally uh, tends to smaller places, smaller groups, smaller things. But he's scared to death, not scared to death, but he's he's anticipating that eventually this is going to be deeper seated to smaller and smaller private unions because these private unions will get outbid uh, by larger unions, larger mm -hmm. private unions who are going to be all on board with masking and social distancing and things like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, almost all of these mm -hmm. uh, episodes, there was four of them that I pulled from you union strong, three of them, four of them. Um, all of them are talking about safety, the whole nine yards of the six feet of social distancing, which means nothing. Which is fake. The mask. It's a fucking lie. Which means nothing. I mean, you heard those clips on No Agenda just yesterday. It's, 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 it's a clown show, but it goes further for us because <clears throat> we, sh you know, we, we, we share a lot of time on tour buses depending on, on the route. You know, you're talking like 
anywhere from two to three weeks on a couple of, sh- of the shows that I've been on. Like you're on a, on a bus for a minimum two weeks, two and a half weeks, mm-hmm. jumping from destination to destination. And, How has it uh, been this last year with you? Have you had to, I mean, has it changed, has, has your life and your work life changed <laughs> in any significant way? I've had uh, five separate gigs since I, I got let go from my last tour. I've had, uh, let's see. So I was on unemployment for a hot minute and then we had all the riots. Uh, I actually left home or left from the show like March, uh, 13th or 15th. You know, we, we just hit that one year anniversary last week and everybody's coming out and posting in memoriam memes and and pictures and and thoughts. And it's just super depressing on a, on a bigger sense because their entire year it's been, the same thing. Everybody just parrots along right with each other in, in fucking tandem. So I don't, this is going to sound really critical and harsh. I'm not really sure who I've lost contact in, with because there's no one that I know for the most part that I've been on the road with and have shared tight spaces and, in, in like really hairy situations. I can't share these expressions um, which is unfortunate. It, it's a total fucking dimension A, dimension B. Sure. I mean, that, that meme, yeah. I, I fucking ride and die by that. It makes perfect sense. Um, but I, they don't do any like, um, replacement, uh, fill in positions that we call them swing techs on tours. So if someone gets sick, like for some positions you can hire a local, but others, uh, uh, uh local stagehand, I mean, um, but others, like if you're the, uh, a one for a show and you get sick, like who's going to run the audio, who's going to run the front of house audio console for that production. Um, so the whole thing's just a mess. Are you going to be able to get patrons to come out and see the shows? Like, are they going to be willing to, to risk it? Sure. In Florida, I'm sure people are fucking dying for it, but in New York, like, I, I don't see it. Yeah. That's a big one, man. I've always been wondering about that. I had tickets to go see Nick cave. A year ago, <laughs> I bought tickets, expensive tickets to go see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And uh, this is right when the shit was kicking off with the COVID. Yeah. And I knew I was like, oh, this is no way. Well, I had I had tickets for multiple different shows. I was going to go see already prepaid and everything. Yeah. Call and and they all canceled. And I was thinking about all these, you know, just the performance arts industry. Like, what the fuck is going to happen? So you've actually been able to have gigs, but it sounds like it was pretty sparse. Well, none of my gigs, um, except for one, and that was with a, uh, it was a one-off one night loaded out of the uh, Paisley Park. Uh, they they have a, a couple of venues down there. Um, but I've mostly been, uh, there was one gig where I was traveling around wrapping trees with Christmas lights for the holiday season. Um, we went Sounds through Hel- El Paso, uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio, all sorts of places, all flying, you know, fucking airports, like you're traveling every week. Like it just, everybody's going to be up your ass. And, and, and again, like theater is a very OSHA conscious, um, work environment because you have so many big scenic pieces or motors move in and battens flying in, right. uh, for good reason. But to be up people's ass over mask and sanitation and fucking um, who knows what else, you know, they're going to want to do like that's <laughs> for a bad reason. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, may- maybe this is a ridiculous question, 
But do you think it's possible that there could ever be a organized labor force, i.e. union, that would say no one in this branch of this union is subjected to this kind of bullshit? We're not going to stand for being tested or having passports? Um, I would have to say, and this might be a bit of a cop-out answer, uh, there are unions that I've worked, uh, and we're talking theaters, a whole range, um, from like the Kennedy center in DC to, uh, a theater in, um, Macon, Georgia, and they still have a wooden, uh, they still have a wooden, oh my God, <laughs> it's been so long. I'm starting to lose the words, a wooden grid. Uh, to hang stuff off of. So there's one guy that can come in and do the math. Uh, <laughs> it really just depends on the, on the demographic. I mean, it's, it's going to be like, I, I hate to make assumptions. Uh, and this is speaking just for the, the theaters because the, the show producers, the actors equity, the actors unions, the, the, mm-hmm. the actual talent, they're going to have a way bigger, um, uh, different, different opinion about it. Uh, so, you know, I could see some places, maybe Florida or Texas being like, no, nah, you know, it's fucking whatever. Show up. We got a show to do. Uh, but the talent, I mean, you got to think about where a lot of the, a lot, uh, you have to think about where a lot of their agents are that book them the shows and book them the auditions. And when you think about it, like a lot of that happens through New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a it's a fucking <laughs> I've been I've been uh, trying to meme into existence my junk removal business just in case. <laughs> Not about it. I think if you can meme anything that you have that could be of value even in your imagination, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. <clears throat> I really do. I think that if I mean what I'm tr- been trying to do now that I'm technically unemployed and I'm I'm just I have a I have my residual pension. Like I, I, I cashed out my pension from the post office, which was a fucking pittance. But something else that's interesting that I kind of wanted to talk about was if you're a federal employee, if you work for the government, I think in almost any capacity, um, obviously you're going to get a pension. But what you also get on top of that is a thing called a TSP, which is a thrift savings program. That's like a sub pension. It's a secondary kind of thing. And the TSP is, that's the one that gets matched. It has the matching capabilities. So you donate, you know, 5% of your paychecks and then your employer body, whether it's USPS or the fucking DOJ or whatever, they match that. I think the limit is 5%. Well, that ends up being quite a bit of money, like way more money than your actual pension. So, you know, I walked away from my job with X number of dollars in my pension, which is shit. But I walked away with my TSP also, and I had the option. They always give you the option. You could roll this over into an IRA or you can can get this. You could cash out the whole thing all at once, but then you got to subject it to 20% deduction for the international criminals, the fucking IRS. (laughs) Smooth criminal. Yeah, who are in themselves like Vatican City and like the City of London. They're their oh, own yeah. autonomous. Disney, you know, I know about that shit. I know what's yeah, up with they're, that. They're a, they're a non-nation nation. Uh, so yeah, so I, I opted to just give those fucking gangsters <laughs> their 20%. And I still walked away um, with a pretty decent chunk of money. 
you know, by no means. Again, I have on paper, I have no money. I'm fucking broke. Uh, But I'm also not in a huge hurry to go work for someone else. You know, my goal right now is to try to make my own job. Yeah, for sure. Part part of that is with the podcast, which I know is never going to be able to generate me anything worth living off of unless everyone donates now. Hey, that uh, value for value. And yeah, dude, I I get donations all the time. In fact, notably, I would like to, uh, while we're talking about it, I want to give a shout out um, to my most recent donor as of tonight. Uh, Here she is. Lacey. Lacey is the executive producer of this episode. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, she's a Lacey. Yeah, she she's a great donor. Uh, she's a new listener. She's only listened to a few episodes. Lacey Bird, thank you very much for your donation. Thank you very much for your email to me. I appreciate it. Super super valuable. Um, uh, I'm not going to read the email, although it is very nice and and it's not really super personal. But she ends it with "Thank you for your courage," and she's on the Mastodon, so she very well may be listening right now. If you are. Lacey, I, I personally thank you very much. Um, but I get donations from listeners all the time. Well, hey, before you before you go any further, let's uh, do, do you want to do the behind the schemes value for value jingle? Yeah, let's do it up. Do a commercial. You're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore. And uh, end of story. That's why I drink orange drink. <laughs> Dude, will you play that again? That's a good one, man. Let's yeah. just play that again. Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. That's fucking fantastic. If you have that as an ISO, will you send that to me? Oh, yeah. Because I want to use that that for my podcast. uh, We do operate off of the value-for-value model. It's not something that I've really promoted all that that much. Um, We definitely do accept donations. I I like the the clip and the artwork side of it more, more so. Uh, which Sir Cedar has done a lot. He's sent a lot of clips over thus far. He's a fucking wizard, dude. Yeah. It's uh I just hopefully if a tour does come back, um I I wanna do my part, donate to No Agenda, um, get that knighthood, and then I, I think we'll make it like a a more stated um sort of aspect of the show, just because I don't feel like I've really done my part in, in that regards to like try and base that portion of uh bringing some sort of income into the show is, is that make sense yeah have you have you ever donated to no agenda i have not any... i am a complete douchebag i know you fucking douchebag i am dude i've given those guys hundreds of dollars i'm i mean to me it doesn't even doesn't even stack up to the amount of value i've gotten from that show i mean i literally i really do think no agenda uh, for most of my sanity over the last couple of years, especially the last year, uh, you know, I had, it was really touch and go with my job thinking I might leave. And I, I came from a, this idea of scarcity. I came from this idea of poverty for most of my life. I'm 42 years old. And it wasn't until about I was 38, 39, when I actually realized that the idea of scarcity and poverty is an illusion. And I, I tricked myself out of that belief system as easily as I was tricked into it. Mm. And that might sound weird, but I, I met someone and I met a few people, a couple of people that are very significant to this, 
who enabled, who helped me to enable myself uh, to believe that um, it's an illusion that the idea of scarcity, scarcity, and and the idea of you don't have any money, so you have to hold on to everything that you have, and you got to be very, very, you know, uh, ju- uh, judicious in how you spend your money, and very, very conservative, and this is fucking bullshit. What I was, and that that's that's true to some extent. The, the bigger magic was that I was missing was that I wasn't investing any money into myself. I wasn't investing into myself um, what I needed to do, which was to invest in myself. And that meant spending money. And that meant spending money on tr- things that would be trifle bullshit. Like if I, I had to convince myself that if I wanted something, not only could I do it, but I should do it. Because I want to, because it's going to benefit me. It's going to benefit me. And so as soon as I started doing that, I started taking risks with that money and spending a bunch of money on things for myself. Not just bullshit stuff. Not just stuff. Like crap, plasticky, wrapped shit. But like buying a service or donating 200 bucks to No Agenda or... um, buying a subscription to someone's fucking magazine, some entrepreneur, you know, I was doing all these things because I was interested in it. I found value in it and it, and the value that I was getting from it was more than I was spending on it. And so, uh, and so I started doing that and then I started doing that and, and, and dude, I swear to God within like weeks and a couple months, I started gaining more and more money. And then there was the first stimmy, the first stimmy came out. And then I got a I, I got a step increase at the job because of the union or whatever. I got a raise at my job. The first stimmy check came out. Um, I decided to uh, change my schedule with my ex wife and I ended up saving a hundred bucks a month on daycare. And then all these things started adding up. And I decided, you know what? I think I'm going to buy a truck. And so I bought my pickup. And then I actually, like, I spent $800 more, but I ended up making, like, $2,000 more after that off of that $800 overspend. It was just weird. Things just started kind of piling up and piling up. And it's kind of been a train ever since then. And so I've just been taking more risks into uh, investing into more value into my life rather than just, like, stuff and it's been like this, it's been really, really beneficial. And the podcast is, is, is part of that. You know, I, I, I bought more bandwidth. I bought a second mic. I decided to buy a mic in the first place. The first few episodes, I was just yelling at my computer in a closet. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to spend a hundred bucks on a mic. And I spent a hundred bucks on a mic and I started like really pushing the show and not pushing it in any way. It, it, you know, any more than you would do if you had a social media platform. But I, I don't know anybody. I, and then I got Twitter. I decided to get a Twitter account. I started pushing things here and there. And I started getting more people and looking at things and deciding to follow. And then I got followers. And then people were starting to. And it's, it's just it's just like this train that just kind of keeps rolling. And so um, I guess what I'm saying is once I got over the illusion that I'm not allowed to spend money because I don't have enough, I got I, I pushed that out of my mind. And I was able to like make money off of spending money, which is, I guess that's the whole, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of rambling. I've had about four or five beers. 
I, uh, I uh, with your uh, with your blessing, I'd like to go ahead and, and name drop you in uh, my future donation note for ca- uh, calling me out as a douchebag on on my own show and a live broadcast. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's the, that's the sort of kick in the ass that we appreciate in these parts. <laughs> Not mad at it. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, I uh, so I think the way that we should do this, um, just because I I, I, I definitely want to share um, at least one of these episodes. Sorry, I actually did the thing. Um, I want to share one of these episodes with you, and then we can uh, see if there's any other clips that you have that that sort of mold around those, uh, or maybe we can go into one of the other last remaining two. All right, but okay, I'm totally into that. I just want to I just want to uh, give a shout out to Chris. Uh, as we as we're speaking, dude, I got another donation to the podcast. Just oh shit! Just as we were talking, doesn't matter how much it's for. It's just it's just powerful and cool that people find things valuable and people support each other, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So yeah, oh, yeah. so that happened. Um. Well, and uh, so this is a uh, Union Strong. This is a podcast that's ran by the uh, AFLCIO, I believe, out of New York. Um, 100% behind Black Lives Matter only after they were bullied to do so. Did you see that huge building that had the flat that had the huge signage on it in New York? Was this a mural or an actual sign? It was a massive mural on the side of a building and it was it was after everyone was getting pushed to all the huge corporations were being this is midsummer maybe August. When after all the med- huge corporations were being pushed to either uh, a black, you know, black box their social media icons or make public statements of support of Black Lives Matter. One of the last holdouts, one of the last ones to do it was the AFL-CIO. Interesting. I do not recall that. I think that's yes, the first time I've heard that. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's true because I said it's true, but but not <laughs> that's that's not true. Hey, baby, you uh, just memed it. All right. But no, it's it actually it happened. There was pictures of it. It's it's crazy. Uh, no doubt. I, I I don't I don't discredit you uh, at at all. <laughs> it's just um, by the time that uh, Black Cuba Saturn meme showed up on Instagram and and Twitter and Insta- uh, Facebook with the the Black Lives Matter blackout, yeah, um, which is Saturnian worship. If you'd ever ask me, no one asked me my opinion though. <laughs> Uh, I want to know they, your opinion of Saturnian worship. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. The lizard people. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I'm right there. Moon's a beacon, sending over bad broadcast bands over the uh, over the over the space waves. Sure as shit, bet your ass I do. All right. Oh yeah, man. The fucking I love it. Like it doesn't matter if it's bullshit or not. Realistically, <laughs> like. I don't really care at this point. I, I just, I like it. You know, I, I like the idea of the electric universe model where all of the planets ex- cohabited the same space where you would turn, you would walk outside your domain and you would see the, 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 the planet Saturn take up 75% of the fucking Southern hemisphere, some crazy ass shit. Yeah. I love it. Have you ever been down uh, to the South, Southwest Red Rocks area, like uh, Utah? Arizona. Uh, uh, just a handful of times um, on various tours. Uh, I've spent a good amount of time in Tucson, Arizona. I've got some. Uh, I got a several several good uh, friends that live out there. Um, Salt Lake City, like Four Corners, or like um, like Moab, or 
um, Mount Zion or I have Bryce not. Canyon. Yeah, dude, when you go there, when you do, because I, I, I know you will, uh, just just keep that in the back of your mind. Electric universe and potentially, you know, astral wars, cataclysms, electric <laughs> attacks, and to see how the Earth has just been carved out. Plasma storms. Cloth. Yeah, yeah. And you see how some of these canyons, these things are not formed. And, uh, dude, I've had a whole new schooling of this. I'm really down a rabbit hole on the fact that I'm, I'm I think I'm like, I'm re, I'm relearning geology completely. That geology is really just biology. That perhaps all these mountains and canyons and rock formations are actually bones of uh, of titans. <laughs> Shivering. <laughs> That's fascinating shit, dude. Man. There's like a there's... mud flood, mud flood stuff, and titans being petrified by uh, cataclysmic there's irradiation a... and and uh, and volcanic. Uh, what do they call that? Uh, pyroclastic cataclysms permanently uh petrifying everything instantaneously flash freezing them flash burning flash petrifying uh oh man there was um anyway we're gonna talk about unions (laughs) (laughs) uh so this is uh this is the labor 2021 agenda uh i got seven clips the longest one is just under three minutes but um just so we can kind of get through, I'm going to go through in quick succession. So um, unless you got a lot you want to drop on one of them, we'll just kind of go through these quickly. Cool, man. But clearly the impact of this pandemic is on everyone's mind. Can you start there? What are our priorities related to COVID? Sure, Darcy. Well, you know, the, the health and safety of workers is the primary concern for all unions. And The pandemic has put this at the centerpiece of our legislative agenda moving forward next year, uh, both specific to COVID, but also future uh, infectious diseases. We we now know, despite this being the worst health crisis we've ever experienced, leading up to this, we had SARS, we had avian flu, we had an Ebola scare. So this is now uh, something that occurs occasionally that we need to be prepared for. Uh, The first thing we're doing for health and safety is improvements of workers' compensation system and trying to smooth out or remove the hurdles in the system that delay the payment of benefits. We've got a couple of bills out there that would do that for workers, particularly essential workers, but all workers who get sick as a result of being at work to make sure they're getting their medical care and any wage replacement if they're out so they can pay their bills while they're sick Mm -hmm. uh, instead of having to wait for the weeks or months or even longer to get that funding. Um, And also for workers who have passed away, their families get death benefits through the workers' compensation system, but often have to go through systematic hurdles uh, in order to get those benefits, hearings and other things. So we want to, at least for COVID, uh, try to speed up the payment of those benefits. A second really important piece is the New York Heroes Act. That's a bill that builds on something we passed earlier this year in the public sector. And the New York Heroes Act would add to the private sector very similar protections that we got. And what it would do is create a statewide template that all employers would have to follow if an infectious disease outbreak occurs, like we're having now with COVID. Mm -hmm. And it would set a standard of required personal protective equipment like 
face masks or shields where appropriate. It would establish uh, social distancing procedures and related staffing policies that employers should implement, like maybe doing staggered shifts or staggered days to limit exposure, as well as proper disinfecting and ventilation systems so that workers can know that they're going to, sick, uh, going to work uh, with the least chance of getting sick. So those are several of the uh, proposals that we're working on to enhance the safety and health of workers uh, throughout this pandemic, but also for future infectious disease out. They drop a lot of enhanced in the course of this interview. Um, one thing that I do kind of appreciate about this clip is at the beginning, he was like, yeah, we had a uh, avian flu and that little minor case of Ebola and just like listing them out one by one. Uh, it was almost rote, you know, of repetition. Well, they've been groomed to think about that. Like, it's, it's not good enough to just have something that's active and effective in place. You have to signify that you are working toward a better because that's also part of the idea. That's bringing you back a little bit to that philosophy of scarcity that even though you have something that's adequate and working fine, it's never going to be good enough. So it has to be enhanced. You have to enhance everything. And it's just, it's also a better. lot of pillow talk. It's a lot, it's a lot of shining wrapping paper for something that, uh, that they already have that in their mind is, even though, you know, I, I think it's fucking completely preposterous, but they think it's working good. Uh, but just to say that it's enhanced. So we're, when you say enhance, it's like super, it's, uh, you know, low calorie, what no was that, fat. What was that? Uh, Genesis, uh, uh, blast processing for the Sega <laughs> yeah. Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I love the idea of blast processing. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, because Genesis does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> blast processing. Oh, oh, yeah. That's a good one. I remember that. Uh, all right. So this is. Yeah. Like, so I, mean, I, th I think that's a really good clip, though, because it shows you where labor organizers are going. That's they're not concerned about your fucking rights or your freedom as an individual. They're looking at a collective body of dues-paying sheep, cattle, workforce, laborers, workers, workers, workers. That's the thing, workers. And this is the people that are like, yes, yeah, for the workers and workers' rights. And, uh, and every time anyone fucking says that and they, and they elicit those words and they identify with that, they are subjugating themselves to a collective body, which is entrapped. It's entrapment. You're, you're, you're subjugating yourself into a collective body that ultimately has no power because in a collective body who is going to arbitrate all of your arguing power, all of your bargaining power to a expert with the idea that they have your best interests in mind. See, and so you have this collective bargaining rights which you then arbitrate to a body or even a sole individual who is there going to argue on your behalf, but not your behalf, dude, not you, boo, now, not you this and is not a, me, this but is your organization. Because uh, the other half of the entertainment industry that's super prevalent is the rock and roll live concert scene. But none of those guys, uh, to my knowledge, at least are union. They're all, contract workers they're all guns for hire sure. essentially like a hairstylist or a, a barber a taxi cab driver but not really because they can always get gigs they have to turn down more gigs than they're going to take that's the objective 
So is that you provide something so valuable that you have to be selective. Yeah. And, and my background is kind of more, it, it's Disney on ice. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was my first show going out. But as far as comparing that apples to oranges, um, arena shows to Broadway shows, um, I definitely have more of a rock and roll background, I guess, just in the way that I operate, because it's not, it's not about trying to push it that extra half an hour so that we fall into another hour of OT or something. You know, it, it's not, uh, trying to play local politics, uh, in a venue, like not unlike Malachi's, I mean, his is a non-union house, but there's plenty of union houses. Uh, mostly just, I want to, I want to show up and I want to do the loadout. Like that, that's, right. that's all it is for me is the loadout. Um, but let's that's what you want to do. You want to show up, you want to do the loadout. You don't want to be forced to show up and do the loadout while maintaining social distancing. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. And wearing it's... a mask. And maybe the mask is going to do it. You or might, how know, about at this some one? Point, how about you might have to have a fucking vaccine pass just to show up at the work site. Because how... that's, that's what this guy is talking about. He's not talking about. Oh, we're going to do all these things. He's talking about enhanced safety, enhanced, enhanced, enhanced. Like what enhanced does that really interrogation. Mean? Absolutely. That means enhanced. How much more enhanced can you be than to be proactive about the most enhanced efforts, which is clearly and obviously the fucking vaccine. And it's like my construction buddy that I, you know, the, the elevator guy, Adam. His biggest fear, he loves what he does. He is mindless. He's good at it. Sure, it does, it's, not, it's not his life. He hasn't prescribed his life to his trade like a lot of fucking losers do. But his biggest fear is that at some point his union is going to have to uh, adopt, at least at some point in some measure, enhanced safety protocols just so they can afford to bid on a job. Because while they might not agree with it, they might not be able to get a gig until they at least show that they agree with it. And that's going to mean having receipts. And yep. we know where that is. That's all about vaccine passports and all the little fucking cards and shit that they're giving everybody. Oh, yeah. It's uh, kind of self-explanatory about how I feel about it all, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, Mostly not excited. And th th you had an interesting point that I wanted to comment on about um, identity. There was kind of a little bit of a crisis going on for the first part of the pandemic just because I ascribed so much of my personal identity to being a stagehand. Um, it, I guess that kind of like took precedent over who I was, I, I, in a sense, because I have I have hit it really hard. I've done uh, nine tours. It's hard not to do it if you're a fucking badass. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's, this is a, maybe a conversation to get into on a different show, but, um, you know, I, there's nothing else I, I'd really rather do. Uh, but being away from that has allowed me to step into a position where you and I can have this conversation right now totally. where I can't take this conversation back. Like now that I've had this little taste of freedom, what's it going to be? What's it going to be, boy? Yes. Or, nah, 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 let me sleep on it. Baby, baby, let me sleep on it. Well, yeah, you can, you can, I love that. That's a good one. You can fall into the illusion of scarcity. It's like, oh, I can't afford, I can't afford to do that. That's, that's, that's a waste of time talking with Dean Reiner on that stupid podcast. I got mouths to feed. I got things to do. 
no it's it's not even it's not even doing it for the money it's just this is this was the it's not about money it's about meaning yeah it's about meaning and about value and i'm not talking about value like we we confuse value with monetary value it's bullshit Time, yes, treasure, it, challenge, uh, talent. It, it, it works. Yeah. Monet- value is value. We've been groomed to believe that value is only equitable to a monetary standard and a commodity. But it's not. It's value is meaning, you know? Mm. Well, uh, let's uh, let's hop into clip number two here. All right. And that HEROES Act is so important because there's been no guidance at the national level, right? That's absolutely right. The states were left largely on their own, and the governor has said over and over in his daily briefings, and we agree that we were left on our own and um, we had to do our own pieces, and we, we've done some of that. We, we enacted a public sector safety piece, and now it's time to move on to the private sector with a similar law. So beyond the health and safety priorities for workers, there is the issue of unemployment. We're staring down another possible shutdown with more people being forced out of their jobs. How does our agenda address unemployment? That's a great question. You're right. There's been a lot of work. Is that a great question? <laughs> that is not a great <laughs> question. <laughs> also, what about the Red Cross boats that sailed into the Hudson? Was that not Salt. a thing? Fucking show, dude. It's all a show. Complete show. (laughs) Where were they? I mean, they were sent away so fucking uh, Cuomo cocksucker could put people in. Fucking it's a hoax. It's a complete hoax. It's a total show. Didn't Cuomo say that they would refuse any Trump-sanctioned vaccine? Yes, as a massive and outlandish virtue signal because he overplayed his hand. He went way too – he read ahead. He uh, read ahead. You know, he wasn't, ahead. he wasn't – yeah, he wasn't read in. Like, okay, this is the scene and this is your part. These are your lines. This is what you say. And then you have to wait until we you, know, you get the prompt to say you're not – and then you get cued to say your line. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I got this. I'm a fucking meatball. I've been doing this since I was two. And he went, he went ahead. He, he overplayed. And he embarrassed the East Coast. He embarrassed the Democrats. He embarrassed the whole fucking COVID hysteria uh, proponents when it was found out that he was wrong. Yep. And, and, you it's, know, and, it's, and it's coming out more and more and more. It's slowly being leaked in. Everything that you and I and fucking Chris and everyone and no agenda, the entire No Agenda Nation – and every other critical thinking person that is unnamed and undisclosed and sitting in their house making their own ammunition that we've already known for the last year that this whole thing was a fucking ploy. And slowly it's coming out. But as you know, I mean, you've heard the last show of N.A. like something that we've known in our bones, dude, like it ain't never going away. It doesn't matter how many vaccines it doesn't matter how many variants it is never going to end. Yeah, it's uh, I, I can't really argue with that in any capacity. Uh, you even got the BioNTech CEO saying it's going to last another 10 years. They need it to last another 10 years. Absolutely, because they need everyone on the government dole. They need everyone working for massive corporations, huge group, not corporations, but huge groups. They need everyone. It's a consolidation thing. I talked about this in episode 46, Hostile Recovery. I took a whole bunch of clips from Jimmy Dore when he was talking with Dylan Radigan in the first six months, three or four, six months of the coronavirus thing from I think it was like March up until maybe June. Jimmy Dore was talking with this 
this economist that used to be on CN, CNBC, Dylan Radigan. And uh, he's fucking hopping mad. He's pissed. But he was talking about things that were just outside of my understanding. But I clipped all these things together and put it into this, this episode. And really what we're looking at, what we've been looking at from the jump, and as we're seeing roll out now, is just a massive effort, a huge, hugely orchestrated, globally orchestrated effort to consolidate resources. And, of course, these things are they're private companies, bro. Corporations, man. Private hey, companies. They could do what they want. Corporations are people too. Corporations are people too, but they're also fucking getting backing, securities, protection uh, from the U.S. government and from other governments across the world. Wait, and, and, I have a question. Okay. If the corporations merge with the state, does that make the state a person? That makes it fascism. That Okay, cool. Which is, which is actually communism. <laughs> well, the way I the way I've kind of come to understand how it's, how it's spun. Either it's going to be a a, a a corporate business merger with government for the benefit of the people or at the cost of the people. But if you can spin it that oh, it's going to cost you guys, but it's going to benefit you here, then that's communism. But if it's going to we're going to take away your benefits to affect the benefit of the state, then that's fascism or whatever. Maybe I'm wrong. I just I've I've read enough uh, David McGowan to understand. If you want to know, check out this amazing book called "Understanding the F Word." Understanding the F Word by David McGowan. Uh, he he does a really great analysis of what fascism and communism are, and they're it's the same fucking thing. The way that I'm kind of coming to represent it is fascism is what the people in charge practice, while communism is what the people experience. I don't know how proper that is, um, I guess, philosophically or ideologically speaking, but I'm going to roll with it. The nuance is almost irrelevant. The point is that it's, it's all going it to suck. It's, well, it's all going to suck. But it, 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 how, it, how it sucks and why it sucks is because in both cases, it's a consolidation of resources. It is a roll up. It is a roll up by what on one side, the fascist side is corporate interests on the communist side it's social interests but if the social interests are the corporate interests which is what we have right now it's the same thing right um okay clip two i keep sidelining well clip three we're no it's three uh now. well we're gonna finish this one like it's got a minute and a half left workers who have lost their jobs as a result of covid so we are working to do several pieces uh one of the most important is uh, many employers have tried to implement programs to keep as many of their workers working, even if it's part time or through a great program that the Department of Labor runs called the Shared Work Program that allows workers to work lesser hours, but they can still keep their health insurance and other benefits at work, but also collect a lesser unemployment benefit. So it's a, a, People are capped at 26 weeks on the shared work program. So we'd like to extend that out so that employers can offer that program for a longer period of time. Uh, also, we have a partial unemployment program that we're working on passing that would help workers who accept part-time work uh, maintain a level of collecting unemployment benefits. Right now, workers are discouraged from accepting part-time work because they lose uh, a real big chunk of their unemployment benefit if they take a part-time job. It, 
it's not tied to how much you earn. It's not tied to how long you work. You just lose a specific amount uh, for each day you show up at work. So we want to smooth that out so people can accept jobs and still be able to collect their unemployment benefit. So some of these are kind of dry. I, I just I, I wanted to give the full context, I guess, of the scenarios that they're talking about. Um, it's all the kind of juicy stuff was at the beginning of that one. But uh, unless you got something else you want to say about that one, we'll just go in straight into three. Go on in. Also, importantly, it, right now, claimants, uh, they're not eligible to collect benefits if they voluntarily separate from work. We want to change that for the COVID crisis for people who ha have heightened risks due to health conditions uh, or, or being elderly or other uh, have other vulnerabilities which make them particularly susceptible to being real sick or dying so that they could voluntarily separate and not go into work uh, but still collect unemployment benefits. Right now, they're not allowed. So there's several unemployment issues we're working on related to COVID. Yeah, and that's so important. You would not want someone to be in that position of having to choose between, well, I think it is a real risk to me, but I'm just going to stay employed because I can't afford, you know, to not be. I mean, that's a horrible situation, horrible choice to have to make. Um, what are some of the other areas of concern related to COVID and working people? Well, this is related to COVID and the budget, but one particular problem has been child care. As anyone with children knows, the, the school situation changes daily, whether it's open or classes have gone remote. So folks uh, on a dime have to decide what they can do with their kids to get them into safe and folks. accessible uh, child care. And particularly essential workers, you know, healthcare workers, utility workers, and, and others who, who are showing up at work, they often don't know if they're going in for a shift or if they're gonna be there for several days. Um, and, and what do you do with your children in those situations? So there is not enough child care uh, for essential workers and everyone who needs it. And we're working on expanding uh, access to child care. All right. Yeah. So <sighs> it's been a year. It's been a year. And it seems like I know that it hasn't been not disclosed or talked about. But the question of child care has, has just been like, under the rug it's been pushed away beneath all of the scandals and the insurrections and the white nationalists and the vaccines like the question of real working people like that guy he says some of these people might go to work and then they might not be able to go home like first of all that's a fucking bullshit like at some point at what point does anyone go to work and they find out that they can't leave their job for two days well, I will say, uh, is that real? Consider I mean, the I, consider the people that work on cruise ships. I mean that that's sort of a that's to be expected, though. That's part of your job. You're going to go and you're going to leave. You're going to leave the the shoreline like you're there. But I'm talking about like if you go to uh, go to work at a fire department, you go to work at a, at a at a hospital. That's fair. This guy's alluding that some of these frontline workers are going to show up to work and then be told by some expert or some superior that they'll have to quarantine there for, Oh, he didn't even say quarantine that they, that the job might require them. That's what I'm assuming. So what he's alluding to that their job would require them at some, in some capacity to stay there for up to two days, three days. I don't know much about that. Maybe that's true. Maybe that happens a lot. 
I stand to be corrected. I'm open to correction. I don't understand. But I just don't think that's a I don't think that's realistic for most people. I think at some point most people would be able to go home or at least make arrangements. But then this goes back to the whole idea of like there's, there's a lot of people that are separated. There's joint households that are t- caring for kids and stuff. It's just it's a, just a big giant mess and I'm I'm partial to divorced parents and I'm partial to divorced dads. I think the divorced dads are kind of like uh, the new black and the coronavirus, like no one's even talking about it. I know that sounds bad, but the the idea of the divorce, dude, the divorce dad is the bottom of the bottom. We don't even make it. Like we're no, we're like we're below the uh, we're below the most disenfranchised. We're so below the most disenfranchised that we don't even get recognized. And there are millions and millions, if not tens of millions, of divorced dads and moms that are still responsible for their kids. The idea, which has been pushed into our brains, is that divorced dads are just like deadbeats, never show up, selfish assholes. It's just not true. Sorry, that's a kind of a, a, a tirade. No, it's nothing to be sorry about at all. I mean, it's um, that that's definitely something uh, I've experienced in my lifetime. My uh, parents got divorced at a, a really young age, relatively young age. Uh, there's a lot of travel involved with that, so I, I definitely I, I can I can see the perspective and the in the frustrations, uh, just because there's not, I guess maybe there's not an, a, a ton of like cultural support. I guess no, it's one of those little secrets. It's one of those bad stains that we try to cover up with new paint. We try to just paint over it and make sure of it, make sure that it's all cool and. This is one of those things. That actually, I really want to. What I really want to talk to Larry about. I'm. I'm on a. Oh into, yeah, Larry, if you're listening, Larry from that Larry show. If you're into this, if you're still listening at this point, I don't think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're quite there yet. Maybe someday. Um, actually, I want to get Larry on here to talk Jack Parsons. I think that could be a sick episode. Yeah, did you hear those last ones he's been doing about his time in the desert? Oh yeah, that's exactly what made me think of it. Those are some good ones. Larry is the guy I started uh, sponsoring lately and and promoting, uh, not just promoting but uh, supporting with my money. I, I've been thinking about it a lot, and like like I said, I don't I don't have any money, but the little bit of money that I have, I've been trying to push it out to do some of the value for value and support the people that I love a lot. So. I, I just started up my Patreon support of Larry, and I also started up a Patreon support of this guy named Legal Man, who is fucking incredible. If you haven't heard Legal Man's podcast, check out The Quash. The Quash, Q-U-A-S-H. He's, <laughs> he's something else. Anyway, I, I really love those guys. So I've been supporting Larry, and uh, I'm trying to get him on the show. Because what I really want to talk to Larry about is I want to talk about dad. I want to talk about being a dad and being a – I don't know if Larry's divorced or not. I don't know, and I don't care. But I just want to talk to him about dads and the value of being a dad and what that really means and, and how powerful that is and in and, and the face of the world we're living in now versus where we were before. But I, I, I do think uh, just to not step away so much that – this idea that like uh, there are like this, this is the most frustrating thing about getting emails from the Portland School District and uh, and and even the the union that I was a part of when I was delivering mail was that everything was predicated that there's like this 
happy household of a man and a wife and, you know, and, and 2.5 kids or one point kid, you know, 1.5 kids or whatever, like everything was this balanced spectrum and that you could just make these meetings because, you know, your kids are going to be home with your wife or your husband. So you could just, you know, go to these meetings and it's just this, this predicated nature that everything in the society is based on uh, men and women living together happily in marriage at home. When we know that for decades, the divorce rate has been 50% or more. And so it's just like this, like ignoring the fact that most people are not living at home with their families and kids. Yeah, it's a very fractured nature. It's a very fractured nature. And yet we push out this propaganda that all these things can happen. And all the, dude, all the emails I get from the fucking school district is so retarded. It's so dumb. If you left, maybe you listened to the Popsicle Day with uh, Sir Seat Sitter episode a couple, few episodes back. Just the idea that you could just leave your job and go pick up and, and go take your kid. And so, in, in, in my case, my kid's already at daycare. And so, the idea that I would leave my job whenever I needed to, that I had the ability to do that, I could just leave my job on a day's notice or less. And go pick up my kid from daycare and take her to the school and sit in a line of cars while there are adults and masks and plastic visors and gloves handing them a popsicle through my driver's side window in my vehicle. <laughs> and that that's supposedly that's supposed to be a great family community activity. <laughs> No. It's laughable and infuriating. (laughs) And there's multiple emails promoting this engagement as if I'm supposed to be excited about it. Oh my God. Let alone, I couldn't manage that on my own because I'm working at a job that I can't just leave for an hour and come back to. But these emails get sent out to all the parents on the supposition that that's a possibility. It's infuriating how how completely disconnected from reality and these things are pushed out by teachers unions. It's not like there's a bunch of teachers sitting around being like, "Oh, well, we could just do this." Well, maybe they maybe they are doing that. I I, I don't know. It's just it's just it's so detached from a practical reality that it makes me want to fucking puke blood and then drink a glass of nails. Well, I think it would be a drink a glass of nails and then puke blood. Uh, that just seems no, to be the would, more would, proper order would, of operations. I, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm personally, I would puke blood and then wash it down with a glass of nails. I've often threatened on this show that uh, I would take a, a mask and staple it to my face, which is just <laughs> just beyond the border of uh, pain tolerance. Because I've I've had staples before, and um, <laughs> oh god. It wasn't that big of a deal, especially in the back of the head. So I figured, you know, maybe I could just pull it off once. If Steve-O could do it, I could do it. Yeah. Dude, maybe. I I, I know you don't look at the Twitters that much, but there was a really good little video that just went around of a guy that had a mask 
and the mask was a picture. Oh, of his of his nose and stuff with the mask under his chin. Wasn't that so good? <laughs> yeah. So this woman, she gets God, all pissed so off good. and is like yeah. looking over, looking over, looking over, starts filming him and then confronts him. And she's like, you need to, you can't. And she's like pulling the mask down over her chin. She's like, yeah, it has to be, it has to be up here. It has to be over your nose. It has to be over your nose, over your nose. He's like, but I, I am wearing a mask. And, and then she gets mad at him again yeah <laughs> and dude her poor boyfriend i have no sympathy for that fucking little toy you can see in the background behind her in that video her boyfriend her guy her partner guy is just like oh my god he's doing all the gesticulations with his hands like oh dude honey you can't, oh, oh. And he, he's so embarrassed and so sad about it. It's one of the greatest videos ever. That fucking, that mask is so on point. And of course, it could all be fake. It could all be completely fake and staged just to get clicks and retweets because there's money in that. I don't know to whom, but it's just, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant every way you look at it. It's fucking brilliant. I love it. It's the great mimetic wars of the 21st century, my friend. It is. It really is. I love memes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's Chris. (laughs) That's Chris. That was beautiful. Seamless. What's up, up, gentlemen? How you doing? Is that you, Chris? How you doing? Are you here now? I'm here. I just popped in. Oh, my God. Sir Seat Sitter just made a joint occasion. Yeah. Surprise. I've been listening uh, to the whole episode and loving it. You guys are two of my favorite podcasters. But holy <laughs> fuck, dude. I'm so honored. Smitten. Thank you so much, Chris, man. You're the fucking you're a wizard. You're a goddamn wizard. You're a hairy wizard. I'm, I'm working on my sixth cold beer, so I'm a little bit loose. Oh uh, nice. I've ran out of ginger ale. Now I just have Tito's. You're on the right. <laughs> Get that path. Tito's going, bro. Come on now. Come uh, on now. Make it go away. Uh, uh, Chris, do you have any experience with the union? Uh, I put them on my burgers. I put onions on burgers, <laughs> sometimes in chili. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's no, nice. I've never been a part of a union. <laughs> <laughs> you just fucking killed me, dude. <laughs> I like caramelized unions. They're so good. <laughs> Just like uh, sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Just like brown no, sugar. No, I've never been in a union. Um, I'm too poor for that. Every place I've worked <laughs> for has either been like, oh, we'll pay you under the table, or they've been like, oh, um, what's a union? Minimum, so, minimum wage. Well, it's not been that bad for me lately. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's the right idea, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, do you you know the minimum the minimum wage thing? I just, I mean, I saw it. I think I saw it on the twitters, man. Someone just said it in like two sentences. I love that's why I love Twitter. It's so bad, but this guy was like, minimum wage is always going to equal minimum expectations on all sides. Yeah, no, I think I think minimum wage only benefits the corporations. Yes. And I didn't used to think that. I used to be support like I like uh, back when Bernie was talking about it in 2012 or whenever that was. Maybe it was 2016. Probably in between that period, Bernie was like, "Yeah, we need to raise. We need to raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. Fifteen dollars." And, like, and yeah. they just 
they just shot yeah, it down like, too. Well, I th- at first I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. But then like I heard, like I started thinking about it. And then after that, I started hearing people like uh, Peter Schiff talk about it and uh, probably five or six other economists talk about it. And I'm like, it, yeah, what what's going to happen is immediately you're going to get fired from your job if you're making $10 an hour or less. Immediately. If they bump up the minimum wage to $15 an hour, everybody's going to get fired and you're going to have robots take over. And it's going to shut, and, and the, the major corporations will thrive and flourish while the small business, it, it, the, the, a $15 minimum wage will do the same exact thing that these lockdowns have done, which is kill small business. Yes. Walmart, they yeah. can afford you to, they can afford to pay you $15 an hour. Well, they can, your mom they, and pop local business cannot afford that. They can afford to pay half the amount of people $15 an hour. Cause I, I, the way I've always understood it is you, they don't typically hire as many people because they've got to pay out more. Walmart, Walmart could have, <laughs> Walmart could afford to do whatever the fuck they want, but my, <laughs> I'm talking, yeah, the mom and pops, yeah, you're right, exactly right. They, I mean, they're just fucked. If it's fifteen dollars an hour, I mean, I've worked at enough restaurants and, um, and and of course the servers are on tips, but I've always been in the back doing kitchen work. If I know for a fact, it, like local restaurants I've worked at, at uh, like the the record store I worked at in Gatlinburg, these types of jobs, if they had to pay you, I, I mean, I was making like eight bucks an hour back then, and they were still a lot of times losing money, man. Like, and these were like good local businesses. If they had to pay me fifteen bucks an hour, they'd have to close. That's and your WalMarts and your Amazons and all that are gonna fucking rise to the top so to me and peter schiff makes a really good argument that like minimum wage should not exist period because there's always a shitty job for somebody to do and 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 it sets a price too like also like it's like um it's the same thing with a value for value model right so yeah uh i think it was bull after bull or somebody was talking monkeys Right. Yeah, well, it, and it's also like uh, I, I I think it was on Bull After Bull or somewhere. I, I can't. Maybe it was even No Agenda. I don't know. But they were talking about like you, you're you're capping yourself off, or maybe it was on Grumpy Old Ben's. Somebody was talking about if you if you if you say like, oh, it's five bucks a month for this show. There's a lot of people that would be willing to pay more than five bucks a month, and there's people that you're not getting their money because they can't afford that five bucks a month. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with minimum wage. Like you, like there should be no minimum wage, and it should just be all free market. Because I'll, I think a lot of us would be making more if there was no no minimum wage to make uh to have that price number in everybody's mind to establish the floor, the bottom, the exactly. And, and not only that, but like there's people that like can't work for shit, but they should be allowed to work. Like, I know a bunch of fucking morons, dude. Or at least I don't, I'm not friends with them, but I've met them. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? No it's like, way. There should be people that are allowed to work for $1 an hour because they're fucking idiots. <laughs> well, this You thing, know what I'm saying? It's like this make, this it, the free about, market like, should come to work, and the minimum wage destroys all that. It's just same exact ideas, value for value. Part of the thing about the union shit that pisses me off, in my experience with the post office... Is that there's a base salary for every carrier, for every postal worker, there's a base salary. It doesn't matter what craft you're in, and it doesn't matter what state you live in. And that's the most clutch thing about this is like 
I'm working in the third most economically uh, expensive state in the union. Fucking Oregon is the third most expensive state to live in. If I was living in Tennessee and making the same salary, dude, Chris, I'd be fucking stacked. If I was living right. in Oklahoma or Louisiana, wherever there's not a state tax or a sales tax or whatever. Is it Oregon or Oregon? I, everybody around here says Oregon. Well, people over here call it Oregon where I live now. It's Oregon. Oregon. Because okay. everyone Oregon. here. Where <laughs> Get I'm the living, fuck out of the state. No where I'm, I'm living now is <laughs> everyone. Yeah, dude. Where I'm living now, everyone's packing. Everyone has uh, assault rifles. That's why they call it Oregon. Yeah, it's Oregon. And believe me, there's the plethora of different variations on bumper stickers and car stickers and truck stickers of uh, Oregon. G-U-N. Emphasis on gun. Uh, but yeah, it's don't, Oregon. Don't you mean greater Idaho? <laughs> oh, I wish. What a fucking... That's a scam. But my, my point is I don't want to get distracted. My point is is that there's a base salary. And this is the thing about unionization. It's, a, it's, it's collective. So you don't have an idea. Your needs are not important as much as the needs of the organization are important. And so they decide on the an organization. Number. Yeah, the, it's or- the organization. Come on now. Stay with me. Hey-o. The organization <laughs> is what's important. And so they decide on an arbitrary number <laughs> of what's going to make a beneficial living for you in an Oregon which is the third most expensive state. Imagine being a fucking, I can't even imagine being a mailman in California. You're getting fucked on property tax, sales tax. You're getting fucked every way. In Oregon, it's just property tax. There's no sales tax. And then there's other states. I don't even know which ones, but there are, where there is no sales tax or property tax. And so here you have a letter carrier who's being paid the same base salary per hour, per year, Per hour, per year, it's the same, depending on how you break it down. It's the same uh, as me in Oregon. But if I was living in Kentucky, Oklahoma, Louisiana, I could buy a fucking huge-ass house. I could buy a, a boat. I don't want any of those things because I already got all that shit, you know. Uh, but <laughs> hey, is, and I, 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 I guess don't want to live in Oklahoma. There's well, that too. Well, no, you want to live what, in no. You, here's where, here's where you want to live. You want to live in the state of Oregonization. <laughs> Come on, you fucking guys. You fucking guys. <laughs> fucking. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> I'm floundering because you fucking assholes. Well, don't falter so hard. What I what I what I'm saying is is that it, the location and the geography, the demographic is important. And so if you have a union that is going to set a an arbitrary base number, which is your salary, which is you get paid whether you work here or way the fuck over there, that's the same. You're going to get paid the same. Depending on where you live, it's going to greatly affect your ability to grow your life in a way that's substantial to you, that's meaningful. You know, If I didn't give a fuck about owning a house or maybe a property – or stacking up a whole bunch of AR-15s, yeah, I'd be happy to be a mailman in California or Oregon. But if I was really dead set on starting a family or a compound or a cult, I'd want to be a mailman in Louisiana, you know, where I'm not going to get taxed through sales or or, or, or property, and I could stack all those dollars where, where, where the money is actually going to make. I mean, a place where out. the only people showing up to collect taxes are alligators. I'm yeah, t- so I hear you. here's an example. I fucking I drive to Portland. Gas right now is three dollars and ten cents a gallon. 
in my town where I live in, it's $2.70. I'm an hour away from Portland. I drive an hour south. I save 40 cents a gallon on gas. Why? <laughs> Just no, saying. I, I mean, um, like, uh, specifically, I don't believe I have an answer. But morally, I feel like I probably know why that is. And I, I'm fairly yeah. certain that's because Portland is uh, one of the nine uh i believe it's nine at least uh uh gates of hell the hell mouse um <laughs> i was about to say what it's one of the it's one of the nine it's <laughs> it's one of the nine cities in the united states that are run by actual demons <laughs> it's it's true kate brown you saw that fucking mask you put on over christmas but my point is who the fuck is I kate wanna, brown i, I want to drive this shit home the worst part about collective bargaining and unionization. And for anyone who's still listening to this after almost, fuck, I think we're going over three hours or more. I've stopped counting. The worst part is that these bosses, these, these are the same bosses that are experts. These are the same experts that are telling us that it's six feet, oh no, it's 12 feet or it's three feet or a double mask or no mask. It's experts. You're relegating your critical thinking, your own individual ability to choose for yourself, you're relegating that to an expert who is then going to set an arbitrary number on your ability to grow as an individual. And I mean that economically. So I can make, I'm making, when I left the post office, I was making $51,000 a year. If I was working in Tennessee or Louisiana or New York, I would still be making $51,000 a year. It doesn't matter where I live. But it does matter where you live if you want to be able to grow your life in a way that's substantial and meaningful to you. So why would you oh, want yeah, to put I, I, yourself in I know a bunch of situation. motherfuckers around here that are working for UPS and FedEx, and they're making good money. They're they making don't have to good be in, money. And they don't have to put onions or unions on a burger. No, um, they don't have to put <laughs> onions on a fucking burger. They probably, yeah. I mean, this is the whole thing. is for, for UPS, that's a private union. There's an option. You don't have to join that union. But with post office, as uh, fucking me and Boo talked about way early on, you're pushed into it. You're intimidated into it through Coerced. intimidation and coercion to join the union to where once you're in there, you sign on, you start paying dues, and then you're there. You know, and then it, of course it was a requirement it. for I, I, I still know people that work at Kroger's, which is a uh, they own King Super out where you live, probably, but uh, a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff. And uh, yeah, Fred like, Meyer. you were not allowed to work there unless you joined the union. Pretty much. It was like you had like a month to join the union after you started working there. Was that would, would that be Teamsters then or is that a different group? Uh, Teamsters don't come up here. And as far as what I know, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know of, of Teamsters besides Teamsters are the guys that it's it's entertainment industry is where I think Teamsters usually rely. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably going to get called on this, but no one's yeah, listening to that, this anyway. This yeah. is <laughs> That's uh, that 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 is something I've really spaced on. I know that Teamsters will kind of dip in and out. They weren't specifically uh, stagehand related, and when I've encountered them in like uh, uh, Chicago, for example, they're almost exclusively uh, pushers loading the trucks. They don't have um, at least they're not assigned to a specific theatrical related uh or you know one of the departments you mm. know they're, they're there to move the show physically uh so i'm wait I, chicago does things besides pizza oh yeah 
<laughs> Chicago's uh Man, I'm learning all kinds of things. <laughs> Chicago number two? Oh god, I don't remember now. Texco. I thought that's <laughs> Mexico. I thought that's <laughs> I thought that said Texaco. We're low on gas. Oh man. Oh Chris, I wish you had some of those Alex Jones clips here. That'd be fucking perfect. Uh, I can only play them when I'm on my clean feet. But yeah, uh, okay. I know, so yeah, we were trying that in the beginning. We were trying to meld the two together, but it didn't work. You got to have one of those motus that Darren O'Neill has because Darren O'Neill's a, a goddamn thing? fucking wizard. Is that what it is? Yeah. I was looking to get one of those motus, but I don't have six hundred bucks to drop on it. But yeah, you can route like that like think because when I was on Grumpy Old Ben's as a guest, I was using my clean feed link and then Vimra's. Darren was using his, he had like three clean feed links open at once on different browsers. And it was just like a whole, you can route every, it's like I'm using voice meter, but the Motu does that uh, a lot more proficiently. So yeah. But anyways, uh, technical aspects aside, um, unions, just in summary, belong on burgers (laughs) and (laughs) caramelized uh, on pizza, caramelized unions. I yeah, like to no, put but caramelized uh, unions and macaroni <laughs> and cheese, man. That's some good shit with white cheese. Mac and cheese, mac and cheese. Living, yeah. no, I, living, living, mac and cheese <laughs> life. Brought to you by Ann Rand. Uh, no shout out, no agenda. Dude, the actual know, BPI man. to you. Uh, so, no, but I, I uh, just from personal experience, anecdotally, just to weigh in, everybody I know that has worked in the union has hated the union, which makes me think that unions have outlived their usefulness. Ah, well, I have a couple clips about that. What you got? Uh, I got the window back up. I, I, I don't have that exact clip, but that is true. That is true. So um, I have one here. You could do a uh, use hurt workers. It's a short labor unions. They claim to fight for the working man. But in reality, unions distort the labor market, shrink the labor pool and hurt workers, even if those workers are members of a labor union. He's black, if you haven't known. Take Julius, for example. Julius is a 17 year old entering the job market for the first time. Typically, people of Julius's age and experience have taken low-income, low-skilled jobs as a foot in the door to the job market. I like the bubble noise. Unfortunately, Whoop. minimum wage laws, which have been promoted by labor unions for decades, How you like destroy entry-level jobs that would otherwise be available for someone of Julius's age and skill level. The very first minimum wage law in 1938 <laughs> led to 50,000 people losing their jobs. Since then, economic researchers have shown that a 10% increase in minimum wage leads to a 3% reduction in teen employment. (laughs) Did they record this video in Bikini Bottom? Where he makes (laughs) $51,000 per year. Julius is a father, a homeowner, and he's about to send his daughter to college. Unfortunately, Julius can't send his daughter to the top college she got into. That's because the collective bargaining agreements of government workers in his hometown and state mean his taxes have gone up. Again, taking even more money out of his bank account to pay the lavish salaries and benefits of public sector workers. So not only is Julius unable to afford to send his daughter. Can you pause this real quick? The family also has less. I I graduated. uh, It was the only year I went to this school. Berean Christian in Knoxville, Tennessee. Shout out. 
Shout out to Julius. There was this dude. We we had only, I think, 22 people in this graduating class senior year. And this dude named Julius was accepted to Harvard. He's a black dude named Julius. I feel like he probably might be president soon. Oh, shit. He was a smart motherfucker. You think but yeah, no, he he was like, it was crazy. Yeah, Julius. That's just when I hear Julius, I think of the, uh, the only black guy in our class that was smarter than everybody. Think he would join that Skull and Bones? Oh, Skull and Bones is at Yale, so oh. they probably won't let him in because he's at Harvard. But Well, I'm going to shut up. I'll see you guys later. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost all street credit. Sorry, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let you. I didn't mean to disrupt the clip, but shout out to Julius. I hope you're, I hope you're uh, running the world now. Hell yeah. Money for groceries, gas, and vacations. Now Julius is 64. He's worked at the same company for 30 years and was looking forward to retiring on the pension funds he's contributed to for decades. Unfortunately, the unionized workforce at his company drove the enterprise into bankruptcy by increasing labor costs to the point that the company is no longer competitive with companies located in other states or around the world. So you see, even though Julius never belonged to a union, the laws, regulations, and politicians supported by unions have left him with fewer employment opportunities, less take-home pay, a higher cost of living, and a less secure future. Unions claim to be fighting for the working man. Try telling that to Julius. I will say, I will say, uh, some of these clips, they, they approach it from an angle where they're creating... Uh, not. Not creating the scenarios, but they're just adding these like kind of arbitrary uh, people. I, I'm. Do you think that there's any merit that they that these are not just uh, I guess hit videos? Like if if I was going to do Total Devil's Advocate, uh, just because there was the one from Sally or uh, from earlier with Sally, where I was kind of getting that same vibe, where it's okay. The unless you have something to follow that up with, I did pull the Amazon Union busting training video. Um, oh, I want to hear that. Have you have you all heard it yet? No, no I haven't. I haven't heard that. All right, uh, this one's three minutes eight seconds. Welcome. We're excited to have you at this training, specifically designed to give you the tools that you need for success when it comes to labor organizing. During this course, we'll cover several important topics, such as our position on unions, associate rights, signs of employee disengagement, and how to identify, escalate, and address associate concerns. We are not anti-union, but we are not neutral either. We will boldly defend our direct relationship with associates as best for the associate, the business, and our shareholders. We do not believe unions are in the best interest of our customers, our shareholders, or most importantly, our associates. Our business model is built upon speed, innovation, and customer obsession, things that are generally not associated with unions. When we lose sight of those critical focus areas, we jeopardize everyone's job security. We don't do badmouth you, unions do in you general, pause the clip but we will for speak a openly. Speed, efficiency, and customer service, more or less. Is that kind of what he said? Yeah, as far as the, their goals or aspirations, what the company's built on. Well, I'm a big fan of speed. <laughs> things that are not get, associated with things that are not associated with unions. I mean, that's that. Those are his words. <laughs> okay. 
Sorry, c- c- continue. Wait, 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 wait. Hit, hit that, hit that by me one more time. So he said that we are associated, we're, we're focused on speed, efficiency, customer service, acquisition, something like that. You'd have to go back and, and play it again to be exact. But then he follows it up with things that are not associated with unions. Interesting. Yeah. If you want to, maybe in order. We, the people, in order to establish a more perfect onion, <laughs> you, you've you've had enough. You've had enough with the with the with the onions. It's it's, it. it's stinking up the, the onion joke. Will the the onion joke will never get stinky no, or stale? No, no, no. Here's what you do: you build a little fire, you get a coal <laughs> bed, you put it in a hole, you put the onion on top of that, and then you bury it in the ground. And and then you have a roasted onion, like a really good roasted onion, like a roasted pig, but it's an onion. Like the Hawaiians did it. Are you racist? Uh, your head might explode. Racist. I don't want your blood on my hands. Anyways. <laughs> with associates about racist unions, pieces, including any specific concerns about particular unions involved in organizing. And we share our preference for a direct working relationship frequently and boldly, even when no organizing activity has occurred. You will learn about the warning signs most commonly associated with early union organizing, as well as other warning signs that could indicate associate disengagement, vulnerability to organizing, or early organizing activity. While employees have the right to organize, we have a right and responsibility to share our position that a direct working relationship is better for the customer, the company, and the associate. In order to be able to do that effectively, it is critical that we recognize the early warning signs of potential organizing and escalate concerns promptly. If you see warning signs of potential organizing, notify your building HRM and GM site leader immediately. (laughs) HRMs and GM site leaders should notify their assigned ER managers or ER principal immediately. The most obvious signs would include use of words associated with unions or union-led movements like living wage, or steward. Petitions or other concerted activity, such as an associate purporting to speak on behalf of his or her co-workers when raising concerns. Union graffiti, union t-shirts, hats, jackets, or other clothing, union flyers, and union visitors in or near the parking lot. Some signs are less obvious than finding the actual union flyer, but they can still indicate associate disengagement, which is itself a warning sign for potential organizing. Examples include associates who normally aren't connected to each other suddenly hanging out together, associates who were close suddenly stop speaking to each other, groups of associates scatter when approached by management, increased associate negativity, anger, or confrontation, unusual complaints or change in passion or detail around complaints, unusual interest in policies, benefits, employee lists, or other company information, or any other associate behavior that is out of character. For example, an associate who normally leaves promptly begins hanging out in the break room for an hour after work each day. In order to recognize warning signs, it is critical that you know what an associate's normal behavior looks like. What Often, it is the change in yeah, behavior that it's... is the warning sign, more than the actual behavior itself. See, this is kind of why I wish uh, Monty was hanging out with us tonight, because he had uh, worked with Amazon for a couple of months at least. Um, he didn't stick around too long. Uh, so they there's definitely, like, this is some kind of, or, not. it's not Orwellian, but it's definitely like, oh, it looks like you two have been spending a little too much time together. What sort of shit you plot in there? Well, this is so, uh, yeah. while that clip was playing, I found several clips 
I, I just did a uh, DuckDuckGo search for Amazon Union, and most of the top results here, I'll just read the first two or three. Demonstrators gather in University Heights to support Amazon workers amid union battle in Alabama. Black Lives Matter holds rally Saturday for Amazon Union vote. Black Lives Matter backs Amazon Union push in Alabama. What so, are the dates on those? Uh, Two days ago. Two days ago. Two days ago. Three days ago. Okay. So these are pretty contemporary. I mean, so are these rallies like contemporary or is the article about the rally contemporary? Because I, 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 I don't know, know, but it's P, I mean, PBS, AI, AP. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't have time to read them, but it seems like from the headlines and they're presented as a good thing from the headlines based on that. And I'm usually not a headline reader, but I'm doing this on the fly. Well, it seems like Black Lives Matter is pushing the union to pressure. Um, Black Lives Matter is supporting the union pressure of Amazon. Yeah, of course. Which is interesting. Sure. I oh, will actually sure. raise you one Slate article from March 9th. You ready to ante up, motherfucker? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> the bizarre Amazon boycott that is that it's unionizing workers never asked for. Oh, intrigue. What is this? A nationwide campaign to boycott Amazon is going viral this week as workers at the company warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, pushed to form a union. But there's a few issues. The actual organizers behind the effort in Alabama have nothing to do with the boycott. Some labor experts say this kind of boycott could ultimately hurt the union drive and to experienced labor activists. The obscure group behind the boycott has raised some red flags, (laughs) pun intended, leading to speculation (laughs) that either they don't quite know what they're doing or they're actually some kind of anti-union cutout. Get the joke with the red flag because the... (laughs) Okay, Uh, it uh, it was a stretch. Um, so this is, uh, because I did see the, uh, I know plenty of people that are in the union and, uh, this whole Amazon boycott is something that's been popping up a lot, uh, in the past week or so. And, um, Amazon, here's payday report. Amazon offers $2,000 resignation bonuses to bust union drive in Alabama. So apparently Alabama is where most of this Am- Amazon union shit has taken place. Based on these headlines, I'm seeing. Be interesting to know what the base salary is in Alabama versus surrounding states, and what the property and uh, sales taxes are in those and in, in Alabama versus those states. I think that has a lot. I think geography has a lot to do with whether or not people are willing to organize and demand uh, something higher and more valuable. I mean, this is one of the things I I bitched about in episode 46, Hostile Recovery looking at the while I was still engaged in the post office and by no means dazzled by the union, but also recognizing at the same time the collective bargaining power of the post office and not just the post office, but Amazon, FedEx, all the all the logistics companies that were out there that if 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 we actually wanted to make changes and and uh, and whatever it was, whether it was for to defund the police or to you know not mandate masks, whatever it was. Logistics companies have all the power in the world to do that, but every single one of them cowed to the pressure of their state governors. Every single one of them, 
And it was infuriating and disgraceful because if you really wanted to make change, this happened in 1970 with the United States Post Office. And it was as a result of that that the USPS agreed and has agreed every two years since 1970 to never, ever organize and strike again, ever. We have bargained ourselves out of organizing oppositional power. We, I say we, as if I'm still attached to them. And now that I'm departed from them, I can talk as much shit about them as I want. But the point is, is that from 1970 uh, on, we have arbitrated and argued ourselves out of organizing against the tyranny of the government or the tyranny of whatever. (laughs) It's despicable. But and by so, the way, Dean, it's like yeah. I um, even before you were on my show the first time, uh, I remember you having to like, you know, dance around certain things with unions and the post office. Yeah. At, when you were on Crime America, for example, I heard you on there. And yeah. uh, it, it's it's just so nice to see you be able to say what you really mean. No, oh, thanks, um, man. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm working on getting legal man on the show uh, real quick. Legal man and I have been talking a lot. And I don't think you guys know who Legal He was Man just is. on Grand America, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's a fucking yeah. badass, okay. man. I've been listening to yeah, him for cool. a little while. I started supporting him on Patreon. Uh, but he's a badass, man. And he doesn't he's not super versed in in the USPS. I think maybe not even as much. I mean, honestly, Clint Richardson might be someone I want to talk to you about this, but it doesn't matter. Now I'm I'm a I'm a free man walking. I can I can say what I want and I have plenty of experience in my bullshit with the post office to talk about the union. Uh, and really just just the just the fakeness, the fakery of the, you know, the, the, the bedazzlement of working for a government job. You think about all the government jobs and the pyramid schemes of what it is and how it's just so ironic that the postal carrier who is walking 15 fucking hours a day, 14 hours a day, 10 hours a day, uh, carrying no less than 50 pounds on their fucking back every single day delivering your mail and shit are the lowest paid employees in the government it's just the fucking saddest thing to me ever to think about that and 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 yet we're not allowed to talk about it anyway because the union fucking kneecaps us and shuts us up well you're allowed to talk about it now hey um, oh yeah you i hope you guys didn't already do this because i did miss like a 15 minute chunk of the show but i've heard everything up till now did you guys already look at the def the webster's definition of what a union is no, but I I do have FDR talking about how the government cannot ever engage in bargaining rights. But I want to hear that fucking well, Webster's thing. Let me read the definition, then I'll let you guys take over. Um, so the, the Merriam-Webster definition of union, an act or instance of uniting or joining two or more things into one, such as... One, the information, the, or sorry, the formation of a single political unit from two or more separate and independent units. Two, a uniting in marriage. Two, B, also sexual intercourse. Three, the growing together of severed parts, a unified condition. Here's definition two, something that is made one, something formed by combining or coalition of parts or members, such as... I'm going to skip this. Uh, oh, here. A federal union of the states during a period of American Civil War. So that's the historical context. There's like 10 definitions of what a union is. But um, the one I would most focus on, uh, if you're talking about like a union that runs your job, would be uniting to marriage, also sexual intercourse. Because that's really what it seems like. You're getting fucked. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're getting fucked, but with the promise of remaining to get fucked forever. That's the thing. It's like, we're fucking you, but you should like this because you deserve this. <laughs> and if you just keep paying us, we can guarantee this will keep going forever. And you're talking about people, and, and this is, this is, going to be probably really controversial. No one, who, who cares? No one's listening. We're, we're friends. No one's listening to this at this point. Unions this is a private low, conversation between gentlemen. Unions tend to attract low-hanging fruit who do not want to decide anything for themselves. They want experts. They want to not be in charge. They're bottoms. They're bottoms. Unions provide bottom jobs for bottom people. There, I said it. Damn, hot taste here on Behind the Schemes. <laughs> Moan days, starting at 9.30, 10.30 Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> Going till the middle of the night. <laughs> I like it. Let's see. Well, we are uh, uh, right about four and a half hours into our first episode on uh, unions. <laughs> We're going to have to leave it at a little uh, cliffhanger on that. On that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to have to, man. I'm going to have to. It's like Dogman. It's like the uh, Fort Good episode all over again. Oh, dude, Chris, just so you know, I have not forgotten you or ghosted you on that shit. I haven't dogged you out. I'm building up clips. I'm making a cool, uh, I'm getting an outline together. <laughs> no, I just meant that our first episode was like six hours long. So it's dude, like. Dude, I know. There's you guys are almost there. You, you and Booberry have almost made it to the. Uh, oh God, I still the, have. Uh, no, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna cut Boo off, Chris, because I'm, I'm, I'm married to you on this one. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Have you never heard of a tri union? <laughs> God, I wish I, I, I wish I could play clips. I wish there were three onions in one. I think that's gonna be a- an episode title: Tri Union. <laughs> No, try onion. Try onion. <laughs> onion eyes. <laughs> a trinion. It'll be called a trinion. A trinion. <laughs> a trinion forever. Uh, but no, seriously, Chris, I'm working on I'm working on some shit. I've been saying that for two months. But there was an ice storm and all kinds of crazy shit I had to quit my Oh job. no, I saw the I saw the video. Uh sorry. You you had like every tree in the forest knocked down. Also, uh, uh, while I'm still I, can I it. just say that I, as someone who has listened to 98% of this live episode before I joined in, most of it, I think I only missed like 10 or 15 minutes. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. You guys had some good clips. You guys are good people. I'm going right. to go ahead and respectfully bow out and let you guys wrap it up on your own so that I don't intrude any further. Cool. Hey, I want to know, did you hear the teacher's union machine clip? Because that's... Super important. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Okay, I, yeah. I think I heard pretty much everything that happened. Okay. Good. Pretty yes. much. But uh, yeah. You no. You guys have been bringing the heat tonight. And uh, shout out to Malachi, who somehow I always miss and doesn't want to talk to me. I guess. No, he hates your face. You don't like onions. <laughs> he definitely don't like onions. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to respectfully bow out and keep listening to this episode on the live stream which can be found under the Scaly Show section of BehindTheSchemes.com where the E's are the threes. Hey, right. I like that. I like that real good. 
That's awesome. Peace out, gentlemen. Awesome. Oh, man. Much love, Have Chrissy. Night, Thanks man. for popping in, dude. Good to hear you. A little surprise cast. I like that. So cool, man. It's like I love we're, that, we're, man. we're like Power Ranger bubble bubble packaging fucking plug and play motherfuckers. <laughs> I know. It's like a limited hangout members only call in show. Yeah, I like it. It's, uh, I don't think, I don't know how I feel about doing a phone line voicemail, but that's something I could get behind. It's like, Hey, I'm hanging out. You know, it's, it's a little like uh post grumpy old Ben show. I think it's pretty cool, man. I think it's pretty cool. If, I mean, if there was a little a code or a little, uh, link for the people that are actually listening to the stream or people that are aware of the stream or on the social ends who are getting the link to the stream they could call in i think that's pretty awesome there's a there's a friend of mine ricky verandas he has a ripple effect podcast he does that every now oh, and then yeah, for I've his, heard of that. I, his I, supporters yeah nice he basically hosts a zoom meeting and wait, he wait, sends, wait 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 he he does the union of the unwanted right yeah union of the unwanted i was on there once they oh, haven't shit. They, they don't want me <laughs> I've been I haven't been invited back to the union of the unwanted and that says something. Damn. I wanna I wanna get me and uh Sir Cedar uh Sir Seat Sitter on there at the same time, like tag team repping the, the NA stream. They don't wanna hear from you, man. Oh. I'm sorry to say it's kind of a it's kind of a limited hangout over there. It's a kind of something that's a Brady bunch and they don't I mean just okay, so it started out really cool. Started out about four or five, six different podcasts and producers that were making stuff, and they all kind of found themselves on the same plane, and they made a show, and they invited a few more, and then a few more, and then all of a sudden it was like 20 people, and then they just they cut all the fat, and now it's just down to like the same five or six podcasts that it started out with. So um, I haven't been invited back to the Union of the Unwanted. I'm not mad about it. I don't really care, but it does make me wonder, what is it like to be unwanted by the unwanted? <laughs> you know, oh. that's that's kind of where I'm at. And I love it, dude. I'm super actually stoked because uh, I don't care. I just think it's nice to be unwanted by the unwanted for some reason. And I don't know why they haven't invited me back besides uh, um, I just don't fit in there. And that's actually really comforting and cool. It's actually really cool because it just solidifies my own individuality and it makes my show that much more independent and uh, that much more of a standalone island. And I think it's pretty fucking cool. Gotcha. Well, but that's not to say that these producers, Ricky, Charlie, Sam, fucking Mike, those guys, they all have their own shows and their own shows are awesome. They're all great on their own individually and I support all of them. I listen to all of them. I actually give them uh, when I can financial support still, even after I haven't been invited back. So I'm not mad at them by any means. I just think that there is something really unique about not being wanted by the so-called unwanted. What does that make you, you know, but they're all, they're all badasses. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's a, there's a quippy pun. I'm completely blanking on one. I know, man. Unwanted by the unwanted. Yeah. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's funny, but dude, man. Yeah. We, we, we got to kill it, man. I'm, I'm running out of steam here. Oh, for sure. No, I, I, I definitely, I <laughs> <laughs> get that one. It's kind of the same experience. Uh, me and search seats that are had for the first time. 
going at it. Uh, I was going to try something on the fly, but fuck it. We're just going to go into a little play out music. Um, thanks to everybody for listening. We did four and a half hours. Fuck it. That's, that's pretty awesome. Hey, uh, how, how long have your shows usually been? Do they usually go four and a half hours? Uh, We've had a couple that were uh, almost this long. This I, I definitely think this is going to be the longest one for sure. Um, so I'd probably split it in half. Like it. Yeah. That's cool, man. Hey, will you send me the audio file? And yeah. I'll, I might, I'll split it up into some pieces and see if I can put them together for a show. We'll do like a little swap cast thing because this has been a lot of fun, man. I really enjoy talking with you. and I really love Malachi, man. I love, <laughs> it's cool, I love that I like dude. It. He's I, uh, super cool. He 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 definitely uh, he definitely feels more at home talking to people uh, from this community, which is cool. You know, that's cool. Have you guys been uh, around together for a while? You guys are homies, or yeah, we've known each other uh, since college, actually. Nice. Uh, all three of us went to the same school. Um, all all theater, all theater graduates. That's cool, dude. I did some theater stuff. I didn't do any like theater on the stage like you. I was kind of in the background doing tech and design and stuff in community college yeah. for a year. And it was one of the best years of my life, man. It was fucking fantastic. I just like making stuff. That's just that's part of my gig. Me too. Well, speaking of making stuff, we're going to have to end this right here because we're running out of music. Thanks, everybody, oh, for shit. listening. BehindTheSchemes.com. Yeah. Uh, up is down podcast. Check up it out. Up is down podcast. Behind the schemes. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll we'll talk we'll talk soon. Much love. Good night. Good night.